Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Sisters of the Leaf, coming to you live once again from, well, all over the fucking place, it's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight the boys congregate via live video, thanks coronavirus you giant asshole, to review the tasty Manzanita cigar from Southern Draw while discussing 1981's under-celebrated man vs. man survival flick, Southern Comfort. Oh, and of course, they'll be slamming back pint after pint of delicious craft beers as well. You know how they do it, folks. What's that? Drunk. They do it drunk. That's how they do it. But somehow, miraculously, it all works out in the end. So sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. So, boys, I was perusing the interwebs the other morning while drinking a delicious cup of coffee paired with a lightly buttered Ezekiel muffin. It was a special day. I treated myself to a little something. And I came across this headline from page six of the New York Post. Chevy Chase recovering at home after a five-week hospital stay. Oh. Didn't you dudes know he was in the hospital for five weeks? No. What, what, did he have the COVID? No. Uh, well, first off, I had no idea, like you guys, that one of our comedy gods was even sick. And second, we're going to fill the boot of remembrance tonight, but we'll need to fill like four or five boots of remembrances uh, easily when he croaks. But thank God he's okay for now. He had a heart scare. And oh, okay. uh, according to the article, he's rest, resting comfortably uh, the way it should be. Okay. I can't I can't have that guy going. Um, but in the article, he's interviewed and never being one to keep his opinions to himself. God bless him. 77 years young, Chevy had this to say. Oh, God. This is kind of like Grandpa at the uh, Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> I used to go out and do anything. I do slapstick in front of 3,000 people. But at this moment, I have no need to go leave the house and meet COVID. <laughs> 
I read, turn on the TV, watch the news. It's all dreck. I see actors, comedians, producers, screenwriters working, and God bless them, but I don't see anything great on television. It all became a generation of shitheads laughing at the world. The humor today's giving the next generation is worse stuff than they already have in their own lives. It drives me nuts. God. Cynical much? I read it, and I read it again, and I think I agree with him. He didn't say anything I disagree with. For the Uh, most part. Old men territory. For the most part, especially the comedic talk shows, the late night stuff and the cable stuff and the other forms of entertainment media on TV. It's a format that Chevy helped invent with Weekend Update on SNL. And now like the Daily Show and all these guys. I mean, that's it's basically different variations of Weekend Update, although they keep it a little more, um, you know, unfunny for one and and you know they they kind of just go in a different direction but they are when i started thinking about they are a bunch of shitheads just sitting back and laughing at the world was he was he specifically talking about you know those nighttime variety shows he didn't didn't specify but i'm just i started thinking about it and then i started thinking don't even get me started on these fucking podcasts i was like Everybody with a laptop in a garage thinks he's fucking Larry David now. And like, I've got to get, you know, these hilarious thoughts out there. And it's just them rambling and they're just a bunch of shitheads. And they're not talking about us. No, I'm not talking about us. None of these boners are funny. I'm literally in my garage with a laptop on a podcast. They might just rambling my jolly ass off. They might make fun of people. But that's what it is. All their humor, whether it's podcasts, and I'm not necessarily talking about podcasts anymore, but these shows, all their humor is at the expense of someone else. There's always a target. Yeah. And yeah. whether it's a politician or a celebrity, and it's like, well, whatever happened to, you know, crafting fucking jokes that, that didn't have targets? And I think, I think that's kind of where I kind of read between the lines. Maybe he was going. But I mean, even cigar media, even, you know, the few things I've, checked out they got dudes taking pot shots at other cigar dudes their looks and hey their, man beef sells beef their, sells their political belief yeah but it's bullshit yeah they, but i mean it, i mean it, this formula is not just comedians it's everything i mean look at your look at like your sports radio show you got to have your shannons you got to have your whatever the dude is it, they always got to be like back and forth and it's like you're full of crap no you're full of crap you're wrong no you're an idiot i mean it's just a bunch of teenage horse shit trying to get a laugh and I don't know. I think he's kind of right. I think he's kind of onto something. So is Chevy Chase an ornery old cranky asshole? Am I an asshole? Are we both assholes? Well, yes, yeah. but that's beside the point. Yes. That's, that's what, one of you is an asshole. You guys answer that really fucking fast. Hey, what was that movie that we did with the with the where they cut the kid's dong off? Oh God! What the hell? The package. Look, if you don't agree with uh. my thoughts, Tut. We can talk it through. I don't think you need to come chop my dog. Uh, I just, I was like, that was, that was a younger type, uh, type movie. And I thought that was incredibly creative. That was a very fun flick. That was you know what? original. And I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was funny. The way you said that, what was that movie we did where they cut the kid's dog off? Like, what the fuck did you guys do when I wasn't there? Yeah. And the fact that I had to think about it, like, I thought we did two or three of those movies. Oh, actually, we probably did. <laughs> 
But I liked it. I thought it. I thought it was original. I thought it was kind of fun. And well, I know. guess Chevy Chase didn't watch the movie about the kid getting his dong chopped off. <laughs> I'll tweet it at him. <laughs> and then when he then when he doesn't know how to open his tweets, I'll laugh at him and point it out. Hey, look at the old asshole doesn't know how to read his tweets. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a there's a fine line there between making fun of things. I mean, how often do we talk about how much we love and revere Family Guy, and and he that's constantly making fun of all everybody. Sorts of, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, he's equal opportunity. He, he's fair. Uh, Seth MacFarlane, who I I love him. I, I love Family Guy and American Dad. Uh, Family Guy, like Cade said, it's just gotten better and better. Um, so I don't know if it's <clears throat> You know, when you say like having a target, I mean, I read somewhere specifically with Chase that, you know, one of the things he did early on on Saturday Night Live was uh, make fun of Gerald Ford. Yeah, he was always falling down and tripping. Yeah. yeah. Chase has a quote somewhere where he said like he thought it was all shits and grins. And then like he met like uh at least one of Gerald Ford's kids or maybe a couple of them. And they were nice, but they said something about like how he had kind of, his feelings were hurt by that. Yeah. He was a president of the United States and, and Chase, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, you know, I thought, uh, you know, what the hell It's just a sketch comedy show. And he said, now that I've been, you know, made fun of so often, he was like, I kind of understand what it must've felt like, but that's always kind of a part of humor. I've just looked at stuff from a. Well, it's one part, and it's a valid part, you know. To, yeah, but just... I mean, I get what you're saying. When uh, it's kind of like if you look at a stand-up routine and all they're doing is cracking on the people in the audience, that gets old. I mean, it's the it's the same shtick over and over again, and you you know that they're going to be picking on you know stereotypes that are out there. It's well, easy. Look, it's easy pickings. It's not smart comedy, I guess. But you get when you look at the great stand-ups and you you watch these hour-long classic concerts, like you know Dennis Miller's The White Album or the you know the Sam Kinison stuff, or even Dice Man. Well, he went after some people pretty pretty big. Forget Dice Man. Uh, but but some of my favorite comedy albums, like the Dennis Miller and the Kinison, they never addressed the audience want. I mean, it was just all just slice of life really well-written comedy like we give you here on the tuesday night cigar Club. i'll move up past that but yes yes correct uh however just from what you said from chase's quote there's a lot to read into it there uh he didn't really specify whether he was talking about situation comedies or movies that he watched at his on- age i'm assuming he's cranking on all of them uh, and but I can I my thing is making fun of people, uh, you know, if, if you're if you're a stand up comedian and all you can do is pick on the audience, that's something else. We're getting we're kind of narrowing our, our scope just in general. I mean, with with the except I mean, and there's always going to be exceptions like, you know, t- you can point to a movie like the package or just a, a movie here or there. But just in general, um you know, Family Guy being an exception, uh, I don't I don't watch any sitcoms anymore. Uh, I don't watch any. Uh, you know, I, I I've 
I hate to think of myself as a crank. Perhaps it's generational. I don't find things as funny. Well, no, there's a there's a bit of a truth to consolidation of production companies trying to broaden their mass audience, which basically t- makes them take less risk and dull down their comedy, dull down their the, the sharp witticisms because they're trying to reach as many people as possible. So they don't want to offend anybody. So, I mean, yeah, there is a little bit of truth to that, too. And then, and then in that case, that would... Chase's word of Drek would be accurate. That is Drek. And I mean, one thing I'll say this, cause I, I pointed it out in a, in a review that I wrote for that movie he was in, which was, you know, it was a, not a great movie, but that the last laugh with him and Richard Dreyfus where, uh, you know, Chase can kind of stand on a pedestal and say those things because who did what he did from 1980 to 89, nobody. Uh, I mean, so who's doing that now? Who's like, a, uh, oh, I got to go see the new such and such movie, man. I mean, by the time by the time Christmas Vacation and Fletch Lives comes out in 89, you know, I'm ready to go. It's like, man, I can't wait to go see this. It's going to be hilarious. But why is it when old, old guys sit there and make a critique of something, they can never do it in a positive way? Like, man, I wish that there would be more situational awareness out there. I wish there'd be more slice of life stuff, you know, just the, the, out target, somebody, the targeting is kind of cool, but somebody uh, called it, somebody but it's just, it it's straight, it's straight up old man. Oh, the younger kids suck. Somebody called the dude up the day after he got home from five weeks in the hospital. Give him a break. Just say, yeah, old I'm, man. we'll see if you have a heart scare, how, uh, expounding on all your thoughts you are to a random phone call. <laughs> Well, look, I'm confident that the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is a true fart in the wind when it comes to podcasts and cigar media. Uh, When we make you laugh, it's either because of a really fucking real joke constructed or we're making you laugh at us, uh, which has probably happened thousands of times over the last six years. God knows our drunk asses have done some goofball shit. So what I'm trying to say is, boys and girls at home, you're welcome. We're giving you the real deal here, and it's our gift to you. And I think we're geared up tonight to keep that winning streak alive, don't you, boys? Sure, let's do it. Yes. 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 Oh, wait. I just looked at my next page of notes. It's total dreck. <laughs> Who are we targeting? So did you guys see what Donald Trump was in the news yesterday? No, I <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, episode 134. 134. We've all all recovered, hopefully, from our sixth annual St. Paddy's Day drinking and then drinking ridiculous amounts more celebration extravaganza bonanza. Yes. We are refreshed and ready to rock your miserable ear holes once again. Welcome to the party. Yay. Yay. (laughs) But... Tone down that excitement and that happiness because yeah. before we get into what we do every episode where we talk about a cigar, some beers, and a film and make them pair gloriously together, every once in a while we have a, a bit of more sorrowful sorrowful business at hand. And tonight, unfortunately, someone has passed. And when someone passes that meant something to us in a cultural essence whether it be a musician an actor an actress filmmaker an author you name it if they had an impact on our lives and we 
got the votes to uh, recognize them. I I don't know if I even got some of y'all's votes. I, I think I got Doctor, you were or Cody, you were in. Yes. Yak boy, you were in. Doctor, I think you were in. And Todd, I don't think I ever responded. I'm so. in, but I saw that they were two two yays, and so I didn't okay. figure that. Uh, if this person, um, if if the majority of the Tuesday Night Scar Club agrees that they deserve to be recognized on the show, we fill the boot of remembrance, which you can see here on YouTube. I'm holding my hand. I can't believe in six years this thing hasn't shattered to pieces yet. And talking. <laughs> Chaos. You just jinxed it. Or uh, has it been shattered on someone? Yeah, over someone's head. Uh, no, it's the original boot. Um, I dropped them. Jesus. Um, Speaking of Chevy Chase humor. We, we fill it up, and I'll explain how that process works a little bit. But I'm going to actually let our very own The Doctor tonight take over the reins here for a bit and tell you a little bit about the life and times of the captivating screen presence that was Yafet Koto. Yes, one and only Yafet Koto uh, just uh, passed on into the next life. Um, 81 years of age. Uh, good run. Pretty good. Yes, pretty good. Um, born uh, 1939 in New York. He's a native New Yorker. Um, actually, uh, this is rather interesting anyone's wondering about his unique name, uh, he is actually the descendant of Cameroonian royalty uh, from previous uh, colonial times. So over a century ago, one of his ancestors was uh, a a king in the country of Cameroon in Africa. Um, Wow. uh, That kind of ties into cigars. I, I don't know if the riches were still there uh, by the time he was born. Maybe that not. That's why I was in New York. Um, definitely a, a singularly talented actor. Um, a very tall, uh, kind of commanding presence. Definitely had a commanding voice. Yeah. Um, I think the things that people most recognize him from, at least I'll mention what I most recognize him from, um, playing the villain, uh, Katanga, in what is probably, uh, in my opinion, if not the best James Bond movie, one of the top few, Live and Let Die with Roger Moore. Uh, excellent performance as a uh, kind of a, I won't say quintessential Bond villain, but he, there was kind of a, he still kind of smiles and, at, you know, enjoys his back and forth with Mr. Bond, but is also a very dangerous murder. Uh, but dude, a great performance by him in that. Um, it's a, a classic film. Uh, another classic film he was in, of course, Ridley Scott's seminal Alien, where he was Parker, part of the crew of the Nostromo, working with Sigourney Weaver. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, excellent performance by him there. Uh, and then, uh, of course, um, fans of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club will remember him uh, from some things he did in the 80s, obviously, in, in the, the great Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's a, a cohort of Ben Richards uh, in the uh, dystopian future. And uh, I think those are some of his more well-known things. Another movie that was a, a personal favorite of mine in the late 80s, he played uh, an FBI agent in the movie Midnight Run with Robert De Niro. I was a big oh, fan yeah. of that movie. Yeah. He was the FBI agent Alonzo Mosley, who goes back and forth with the De Niro character. Um, <clears throat> those are some of the things he's probably more well-known for. A very long filmography. Um, I believe he also did a, a very long stint in the 90s on a television show, Homicide. Uh, and was famous for that as well. Um, 
didn't do a lot after the 20th century. Didn't retire, but if you look at his IMDb page, there's not a lot after the year 2000. So I don't know if he sort of went into a genteel retirement or anything like that. But uh, definitely, like I said, one of those guys, people from our generation, especially and people from older generations, you mention the name and you see the face and you hear the voice and you know who he is. And there's some classic performances and some classic films. Yeah, and that was my my go-to that I was I was putting his name in the hat for the Buddha Remembrance because the minute I saw his name but then his face on on a article saying who died it was like that oh man not that not him yeah um yeah um so you kind of covered it doc i mean just so good uh you know alien running man running man to me was just uh my first exposure to him because uh i wasn't quite old enough to see alien i don't think yet I think I saw and, uh, Live and Let Die first. And uh, dude, it it took a formidable uh, dude to start trading, you know, blows with Arnold in that steel mill, and um, and by and make the, and, it believable too. And make it believable. Not not a lot of dudes have been were able to do that on screen back in that day. But he's just such a big, you know, his presence was just as big as his stature. And then, yeah, and Live and Let Die. I mean. Yeah, top five for me, Bond villains ever. Just, uh, yeah, man, I just love the dude. Um, uh, anything you guys want to add, or is it time to do what we do? It's a reason to go back, and we, we mentioned some of the ones from the 80s, but it's it's a, it's a reason to go back and watch Live and Let Die or Alien again, just to, yeah. just yeah. to watch a little bit of acting school and see how the, see how the big boys do it. Uh, good call, Doc. Good call. Well, brothers, uh, I have filled up the boot of remembrance with a can of Yak Boy. I, I picked up this, um, because I'm an IPA guy. So, but IPAs are a bit, a bit harsh on the, on the chug. So I was looking for a lager or a, a, uh, you know, Pilsner or something. And then I found one that I thought would go with tonight's movie. The Vet Beer Company, a portion of which all proceeds support American veterans. What is this beer that I bought one can of? The Vet uh, Lager. Uh, it is made by the Vet Beer Company. They're actually located in Georgetown, Texas. Uh, oh, right down the road. Wow. Right down the road. They're very, they're very recent. Here's starting here about uh, end of 2019, beginning of 2020. Uh, they were very small. They actually uh, contracted out with Wrench Brewing, which is a, a larger brewery there in Georgetown. Uh, the the vets uh, it, its stats are very low. I mean, it's it's 4.2 percent, and as a lager, I mean, IDUs are, are non almost non-existent. Well, I won't be able to tell you anything about how it tastes or its subtle notes, but unfortunately, well, fortunately for Yafet Koto. Uh, unfortunately for me, this is the only way to release his soul from purgatory and up into the heavens. I have no doubt that's where he's going, all the joy he's brought to millions of people over the years. And it just seemed like a man when he smiled, it was just a man, I just love that dude on screen. Um, so now I'm going to do him one last favor chug the boot of remembrance and then release him into the afterlife and all the gold and riches he deserves. Boys, to Mr. Cotto. Do it.
When the can of vet was open and poured into the boot, when you, you were used young, to say, live yeah. and let live. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But I don't know the second verse to this song. No, I never really don't try. But I do. Live it, let go. Dun, dun, dun. No, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. Chug. <laughs> we need to get together in the studio. I thought we were on some there. Yes. Boy, that's that's been a while. It's a little malty. A little malty. <laughs> I want to uh, send a, a personal addendum to this. Uh, George Seagal of Just Shoot Me fame and the uh, Goldbergs passed away as well. I liked him. So he was also Kirstie Alley's. Uh, she was his mistress in the Look Who's Talking movie. Uh, I forgot about that. Totally forgot about that. I think that's the only thing I uh, Yeah, so um, uh, I'm not. It's enough boots for a while. I'm getting older. <laughs> I'm getting older. That's not getting any easier. Right. Well, folks, uh, with that bit of business uh, behind us, let's move on to tonight's first subject under the TNCC microscope. It is, of course, a cigar, the Southern Draw Manzanita. Manzanita. The red label, I believe the first Southern Draw cigar to feature a red label. Smell that wrapper. It's got a very unique uh, smell to it. I'm getting a little, ooh, a little bit of kind of a tang, a little sweetness off the foot directly. Uh, let me tell you a little something about it. It is a 6 by 52 Here's This has never been done before with a Southern Draw cigar that we feature on the show. All these leaves I'm going to tell you about are of undisclosed origins. We don't know what countries these came from. Really? The, ra- the wrapper is a Habano hybrid leaf of undisclosed origins. The binder is a Habano leaf of undisclosed origins. And the filler is a Pelo de Oro, a Corojo 99, and a Lajero of undisclosed origins. I will, of course, save price point to last. Uh, here's what... Main man, Southern Draw, uh, boss man Robert Holt said in a press release, we have long desired to share the history of traditional tobacco and its spiritual importance, and then we had an epiphany while working on names for our new cigar release. Some nostalgic names were thrown around, but when we saw this leaf, its deep red color, it does have a reddish hue to that wrapper, indeed, uh, we observed the texture. We rolled the Taba Cuiados. Don't hold me to that pronunciation, and smoked them together, there was a unanimous endorsement that manzanita, meaning little apple in Spanish, describing the tiny apple-like fruit was perfect. Uh, So that is where the name for the manzanita comes from. Also of note, a very important note, I think, Southern Draw has pledged that some of the proceeds from the sales of the manzanita will go to the First Nations Development Institute an organization dedicated to ensuring the sustainable economic, spiritual, and cultural well-being of their communities. More specifically, the Nourishing Native Foods and Health Initiative, which Southern Draw expects to send a total of over of around $30,000 in the first year alone. I feel personally anything offer, that offers real tangible support to the Native American community is a fantastic thing in my book, and uh, so that's awesome. Uh, Southern, Draw does, Southern Draw does a lot of uh, charitable um, acts through their cigars, and uh, I can't wait to light this one up. It's a, it's got a 
really sexy smell to it. Um, so as you boys are lighting up, speaking of cigars, y'all know who makes some really good ones? Who's that? Yak Boy, I'm glad you asked. Our good friends over at Drew Estate. And one of the most delicious offerings in their Bass portfolio is the Herrera Steli Miami, crafted by level nine Cuban rollers at the famed El Titan de Bronze on Cale Ocho. The Herrera Steli Miami line is expertly rolled with a lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder with select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. The new look of Herrera Steli Miami features a rich black and gold packaging and is available in five sizes. This delicious cigar is now available at Drew Diplomat retailers everywhere. So go get you some. And I'd like to also give a shout out to Cigar World. Cigar World is an online site for cigar smokers. There you can get cigar news, reviews, and a whole lot more. Also on the site is cigar research is a cigar research panel called the Testing Lab, which is really cool. I encourage you to check that out. Okay. That's my, that's my favorite portion of the site. You can sign up to give your input on new cigars by taking surveys and testing cigars. It's very interactive. I like that. Check it out at cigarworld.com forward slash testing lab. And that is brought to you by our good friends over at Macanudo. Uh, if they know their cigars, and it's a really cool site. So go check that out. By the way, I totally picked up a fiver of that Inspirado Green. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, totally did. You liked it. You liked it a lot. Yeah, I liked it. And for that price point, I mean, come on. Oh, it's a great price point. Yeah, I also mm-hmm. did the whole went to the website, bought my stuff, went over to Monster, got a little fiver there. And then came back to uh, actually I went to went to the monster and picked up a Cedrus, uh, and then uh, yeah came back man got the shipping man did you guys get some of that tangy sweetness on the cold draw something I don't know like you said it's something there you you're you've lit up what are you getting so far. Uh, I'm getting like on on the uh, on the palate's actually a little bit more of a pep. It's got some pepper to it, really? uh, like a little bit of that that uh, black pepper aftertaste on the palate. Uh, a little bit of pepper on the nose, but not like spicy stuff. I mean, just like just like almost that like cooking black pepper. And then uh, there's a hint of cinnamon in the in the retro hail, which I thought that's pretty cool. I, I got a, a really sharp uh, that lajero through the nose. Uh, it is it is uh, a sharp black pepper kind of crackle on the nostrils. That's nice. And yeah, I'm getting kind of a, a mixture of cedar and peanuts. Interesting combination. Not getting the peanuts, but getting the cedar. Uh, I was I was going to say woodsiness. There was some woodsiness to it, but uh, it's a it's a smooth draw. I'm going to figure. Uh, yeah, that's nice. Well, well yeah. With a name like Southern Draw, you pretty much you kind of you kind of have to be. Uh, it's basically they rolled up leaves of Powers Booth, the actor from tonight's <laughs> film, and we're smoking him now. That would be awesome. Nobody's got a southern draw like Powers Booth, except our old friend Trace Atkins. No, dear. No, uh, no. No, I, I, Powers Booth. Atkins, the, yeah, Atkins comes nowhere close to Booth. Dude, uh, Powers Booth is the top of the southern draw totem pole. 
Uh, well, hey, as we're kind of getting into cigar, those are just my first kind of immediate impressions. The the, the Lajero, nice, really warm pepper on the nose with some, like I said, it, it, it hit me a little bit. But then, uh, yeah, my first, man, some peanuts and a little bit of woodsy cedar. Yak Boy, as always, a resident beer expert, tells us what we're drinking tonight because we're not all together like usual. In the old, good old days where we get to drink the same thing and compare notes, we're all drinking something different. Tell the boys about my first beer from Shreveport, Louisiana. Oh, Shreveport, Louisiana. The Commotion, which is a, they label it as an American pale ale. It's American IPA from Great Raft Brewing. Uh, and he just mentioned it's located in Shreveport. Uh, they started... Uh, back in 2013, so they've been making a good run now, getting getting close to for them, you know, eight years now. Uh, the great the the commotion is a five and a half percent ABV and 49 IBUs. So I was kind of interested in that. Seems about right, actually. Seems about right on the IBUs. Um, man, it's 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 got a very floral, citrus heavy. It's got a beautiful aroma, and that citrus is sure as shit there on the sit. It's got some orange, and um, some of that kind of floral comes. It's a nice. It's kind of a nice middle of the road IPA. It's good, but it's got. It, you can definitely get the hops, but nothing gonna, you know, kick you in the stab you in the balls, uh, like we'll see in tonight's movie. Uh, oh man, it's just got a really, really nice, almost like a juicy IPA aroma, and uh, nice profile. Uh, like I said, heavy on the citrus and floral, uh, medium on the the bitterness. It's kind of cloudy on the pour. Uh, you guys can't see through me, can you? You can't see through the glass. No, cannot. Um, no, can't, Dad. I could only get two of these. So uh, I will be switching uh, beers here shortly. Uh, you can blind, can you, Tut? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I can't. You. No, I can't. Uh, but yeah, so far I, I don't see this possibly interfering with any cigar. But I'll I'll certainly keep you updated. Uh, Yak boy, what are you drinking? I am drinking the Spencer Trappist. Ale. It is. Uh, we've actually from. It is from this Spencer. Uh, it was brewery, but I mean, it's, it is actually the uh, oldest Trappist brewery in the U.S. I think I've had the, it, and I think I love yes. it. Yes, uh, Tud is correct. He well, you actually you had it back uh, when we did reviewed the uh, soapbox. That's yes, one twenty. Six. My friend, you have made a good choice. But actually, you had their uh, Monk's Reserve. Oh, okay. So you didn't have the one I was having? Then you made a bad choice. Well, this one I I went (laughs) to specifically. To settle down, everybody. Settle down. Our movie tonight, which we'll get to later. But no, uh, I was looking for something because the last few podcasts, I've done all these different stouts and they had all these different flavors. I'm like, just want something, a nice, simple, 
Trappist. Ale made by holy men. Now I have that. Uh, the Spencer uh, is a six and a half percent ABV. It's 23 IBUs, and that that fits that profile fits so perfectly with what I'm getting. That is one third the ABV that you drank last week. <laughs> yes, last last episode. So. And I only have one. Do you see that playing well with the cigar? Kind of uh, complimenting it, or it in this way? I'm going to say it, it's not going to distract from the cigar. Not like my was last time so I'm, I'm i'm very interested this is i'll say this much it's it's very good like uh, kind of like what you just said you cannot see through this it's yeah hey yaks hold yours up and we'll both try to see each other through our beers oh my god no, i can't see you i cannot see you soul it's, it's that's like why prism. we get the big bucks right there folks. Hey, let's see if we can see each other through our beer cans nope <laughs> This is exciting right. show material right here. This is this is this is professional as shit. <laughs> uh, real quick, man, about what uh, almost an inch in, I guess. There's a beautiful, uh, slight earthiness coming through with that pepper on the nose. Oh, the cigar. But mineral, just a a, a really healthy dose of, of of mineral coming through to to balance that pepper out. Um, and I don't know what you're smoking, Todd, but I'm getting roasted peanuts like at the ballpark coming through this thing. <laughs> I'm actually going to have to back off smoking mine because I'm blazing through it. I'll be done before uh, we even get to the movie. Well, that's my fault. We started the show a little bit later, and you're just antsy to get your hands on a cigar, and you just you just can't help yourself. You're a wild man. What's Todd drinking, Yaks? He went with the classic. Oh God! No, make him stop singing Cajun music, please. <laughs> He's having a Dixie beer, Dixie Lager, and Tut's canceled. I just got an email. You're canceled. I was about to say, can can I can I drink this? Do I need a lawyer? I don't think you can. I think you do need a lawyer. Oh, the Dixie! It it is. Uh, it's a classic. Uh, started back in 1907. Whoa. Yes. I didn't realize it had been around that long. Yes. Uh, originally, the, the brewery had been uh, located on the historic Tulane Avenue there in New Orleans uh, up until, of course, Hurricane Katrina. And, of course, it got shut down. They managed to contract brew with some uh, existing breweries that could handle their capacity, the amount that they needed to brew. And they luckily got to reopen a new facility in 2019, so they oh, are good, back, good. back producing what they were. Uh, the Dixie Lager uh, has, is rolling in at 4.6% ABV, and of course, once again, the IBUs being a lager are almost non-existent. Three. Three. Yeah. Uh, Todd, is it a refreshing cold lager? It is everything that you would think that an American lager would be. How do we go to? Of course, the beer is showcased in our movie tonight. So it that, is, I, and I want to say, I want to say also, Yak Boy, your beer, our main protagonist in the film, is named Spencer. Correct. So you get pairing points for that. Tut, you actually are drinking the beer seen on screen. You get pairing points for that. I can't wait to see what the doctor came up with. Doc, what's Doc drinking? Hey, before we get to that, <laughs> one more thing about the Dixie beer. Uh. People oh wait, it's, it's, is it like the Dixie Chicks? It's just called the beer now. Dixie I beer. I don't know about that, but uh, the beer. Dixie 
Dixie Beer is referenced in Brett Easton Ellis's novel American Psycho as the main character Patrick Bateman. Uh, one of the things in this very satirical novel is uh, Brett Easton Ellis makes fun of the just really ridiculous restaurants that these rich guys eat out at in New York City. And in one scene, uh, the character Patrick Bateman goes to eat at a restaurant called Texarkana, which is located in Manhattan. Uh-huh. And he talks about drinking. He talks about wanting to go there and ordering a Dixie beer. Really? Yes. Also, I've read, read that book twice, and I don't remember. Also, show notes. So, read into that what you will. Dixie the beer was also featured on another show that the TNCC has done, one Maximum Overdrive. Oh. That was oh. also the Dixie truck stop, which is now just the truck stop. The truck stop. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I got that right, right? The Dixie Chicks are just the chicks now. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, doctor. You got a lot of straw. I'm drinking a Louisiana beer. Tut's drinking the beer on screen. Yaks found a beer named after a character. What are you drinking? The, the, the good doctor is having the Lager of the Lakes from Bell's Brewing. We do have a lot of bodies of water in tonight's room. That is correct. And, but of course, we actually have uh, had the Log of the Lakes as well way back on episode 103 when we reviewed Friday the 13th, part five. I, I knew I recognized that can. I think I remember actually liking that beer, too. Yes. Son of a gun, I've got no recollection of that whatsoever, and I know I was there for that show. <laughs> is, it good, uh, Bell's is, it good, is it good the second time around, Doctor? I thought it was the first time around. It's, it's, <laughs> I wonder why I think that. Well, at least it's no Shiner Oktoberfest. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, it seems fine now. Didn't realize well, I had it before. Well, it sounds like Yak Boy's finally going back and doing some cross-checking. Did you get an Excel uh, <laughs> spreadsheet for Christmas? Somebody got you Excel for Christmas, didn't they? I got a whole room. I've got that red thread. The red thread. Every- just crazy theories. How did this beer start? Uh, well, tell us about this this Lager of the Lakes. Uh, Lager of the Lakes, like I said, Bell's Brewing. Uh, they not quite as old as Dixie. They started back in 1985. They are currently located in Comstock, Michigan. Uh, the Lager of the Lakes uh, rolling in at five uh, uh, flat 5% ABV. And, of course, once again, the lager, almost non-existent IBUs. It's it's a two, one and a half. Uh, okay, uh, doctor. I have no. I'm with you. I have no memory of. I do. I remember the can when you held up the yeah. can. I, I remember drinking that, but I have no memory of the, the beer. I, I know I was present at, at least. Unlike when you and I were talking about the bikini summer one, at least I know I was there for the Friday the Thirteenth Part Five show. I don't remember the can or. Drinking it or anything, it's it's a nice, uh, light-tasting little lager. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it markets itself as a bohemian pilsner. Now, is that just horseshit marketing? Uh, like, what makes a pilsner? Bohemian, bohemian? part, yes. Pilsner, okay. no. That's <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's bullshit, then. <laughs> I'm a bohemian podcaster. Well, you're not bohemian. I am a podcaster. But well, I am bohemian I'm in spirit. 
Well, if you want to go with the whole spirit thing, I'm actually bohemian. Yeah, right? boy is bohemian. <laughs> One other movie tie-in, Cade, uh, in Logger of the Lakes, is that this entire movie was filmed on uh, Caddo Lake in oh, East Texas. Oh, screw Caddo. I hate Caddo. Oh. I knew you were from that neck of the woods. I thought I didn't know why you'd have a problem. I can't. I can't fish there to save my life. If I was starving and needed a fish, I would starve to death. I cannot catch bass on Caddo. Well, those coon asses didn't have a problem catching fish. No, because they're coon asses. They know that yes, lake like the also, back of their hands. Well, by the Caddo, way, that's Caddo actually that, splits Texas and Louisiana. So on one side it's Louisiana, the other side is Texas. Real quick, uh, uh, hosting note: uh, if, if we drop the term "coon asses" throughout the show, that is what our National Guard uh, characters call the Cajun locals who are hunting them, uh, "coon asses," which. Um, is not a nice thing to call somebody. No, uh, I would joke with uh, a Acadian guitar player that I once had, and I would not call anybody else that. It is not a nice, friendly term. I think at one point in the movie, somebody calls him a filthy coon ass, and I'm like, that's just double bad. Like, coon ass is bad enough. You got to call him a filthy coon ass? But there's one slang scene in there I want to get to on the thing because there was, uh, it, I'm, I'm interested in it. By the way, a uh, cigar note. I'm getting about. I'm approaching the midway. I got a little bit of raisin on that retro hell. Not a lot, but just a little bit of that. that At the end of the first sweetness. third. End of the first third ish. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll look forward to that. Not sweet <laughs> raisins, but just a little bit of raisins. Just, just a box of red raisins. <laughs> just your did average any, sun made. Did any of you boys consider drinking some SoCal sodas, some uh, SoCo sodas, and getting some Southern Comfort tonight? Pretty sure we all did. I, I contemplated the Southern Comfort. I did. I, I I wish I actually would have because I I totally. You'll learn two beers from now. I totally screwed the pooch on my 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 second beer I picked. I I'm embarrassed by what I did, but you'll learn about that soon enough. Yeah, I should have just got a bottle of Southern Comfort and a big ass thing of Coke Zero and just gone nuts. Um, I got some Devil's River whiskey over there, which probably would have worked with tonight's show. Yeah. Well, let's get into it because I'm excited to talk about our manpower. We're talking a lot about Louisiana and our movie tonight, so I might as well get right to it, boys. Our film is one that I've had on my radar for quite some time. And I was like, you know what? One time, one day in the future, we're going to be doing a Southern Draw Cigar, and we're going to feature this movie for obvious reasons. But then last year, we interviewed uh, fellow brother Leaf, C.W. Harris. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe the the interview was titled uh, "Black Lives Matter, but some cigars don't." And it was a really good interview. Go to YouTube and check it out. But at the end of it, we asked him uh, what movie he'd like us to feature on the show, or if he had a favorite movie or whatever. And he just threw us a curveball, and he's like, "Man, y'all got to feature Southern Comfort." He said it was like his movie his dad watched all the time growing up. And I was like, "CW, man, that's crazy. You said that. It's on my list." I can't believe I'd never seen it before, though. With this, With this pedigree, cast? this cast, this director, I'd never seen this film. And finally, here we are tonight, uh, making it happen. Southern Comfort, 1981. Uh, had you guys seen this movie before? No, yeah. I had not. 
No, none of us. None of us. The year is right. 81. The director is right. Walter Hill and the cast is right. None of that is. That's what what surprised me more than anything was just the sheer. I mean, literally, you just go down the line and it is. Well, the thing is, actor. The thing is, this was this when this came out. This was kind of the in the shadow of Deliverance, because they, they kind of had a similar uh, storyline. Deliverance got. I was wondering Bert, who came first. Burt Reynolds, and it had the squealing pig, which was a cultural kind of the dueling banjos. This one always kind of lived in the shadows of Deliverance, um, which I'm of the opinion after watching it a couple times, it it, it shouldn't. Uh, this guy, this, this movie deserves to be spoken about completely on its own, uh, good and bad. But, uh, let me tell you a little bit about it. It was also real quick, Cade. It yeah. was also just cause you use that term in the shadow. It was also in 81, very much, uh, in the shadow of Vietnam. And even though this takes place in Louisiana and they're national guard guys and it's not a Vietnam movie, um, Walter Hill actually made some comments about that, that because they were going to have guys in a very much sort of jungle swampy setting, that it was going to be looked at as a metaphor for Vietnam, even though he didn't intend that at all. And I thought that was very interesting. And in 81, I think that's the year before the memorial goes up. And so there was still kind of a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths dealing with it. It it is worth mentioning, Doctor. And while many saw the film as an allegory, they're going into the Cajuns territory um, for the Vietnam War. This is a I got the exact quote from Walter Hill. We'll just start with that. We were very aware that people were going to see it as a metaphor for Vietnam. The day we had the cast reading of the script, before we went out into the swamps, I told everybody, people are going to say this about Vietnam. They can say whatever they want, but I don't want to hear another word about it. He he wasn't making a message movie here about Vietnam at all. But it's always – that's the great thing about film. You can you can read whatever you want into it. and, and Yeah, once it's ultimately, out of the artist's hands, it's up to the but viewer. Al- but ultimately, it is a, a filmmaker's medium, and if he says that's not what he was doing – that's not what he was doing. But it's interesting because I didn't watch it at the time. I wonder if I watched it at the time. Well, first of all, I've had, I've been old enough to have that kind of critical thought or analysis. Maybe uh, I didn't get any of the, I, I didn't get the Vietnam tie in. I could see how it is, but just as a casual viewer watching it, I didn't, you know, make the Vietnam distinction. I, I didn't either, but I think that might just be our age and we weren't. So I wonder, I mean, just the number of Vietnam movies that I have watched, it it gave the tone like you know. It well, the like, guys marching through the the water and the slow motion shots. Yeah, but I mean, these, these National Guards guys, I didn't even think it was a, a an accurate reflection of the National Guard, at least not what we've known the Guard is now, where the Guard gets called, you know, to to tours of duty in Iraq, and they were on rotation as well. To these guys, these guys were the definition of weekend warriors. Not even weekend warriors. They they get together on the weekends and watch ball games and play cards. They didn't have to do anything until like this one special event where they're like, you know what, we should probably get these guys in some kind of shape. Yeah, this is this isn't the area of Donald Rumsfeld going, guess what? Your guys are going overseas. Yeah. Uh I would hate up. to serve overseas with these guys, by the way. The touch we, point though about, be dead in five minutes. about us not being old enough at the time i wonder if at the time 
it hurt the picture in terms of its what it did in a box office and what happened afterwards. I wonder if that hurt the picture that there was, that people saw it as a metaphor for Vietnam and that the actors in the movie who at that point would have been in their early 30s were the same age as a lot of the guys who were scarred mentally and physically that were still coming to grips with it. I wonder if that hurt the picture's strength. From what I read, Doctor, it didn't because according to the director, nobody went to see this movie. Okay. Nobody I, was. I had never even heard of it until nobody, CW and you talked about it. He he gave a hilarious interview unintentionally where he was like, "It's hard to comment on the how you know the cultural scene at the time and the audience perceived this movie because it made no money. Nobody saw it." He's like, "Even my worst movies make money in Japan. Japan didn't pay to see this movie." He's like, "Nobody fucking saw this movie." He's it's like, amazing it's with the actors that you got involved and, in this thing. But at the time, those actors, yeah, other that's than true. Maybe, that's true. Other than maybe Keith Carradine, were nobodies. There, there's not a name. At, at, in 1981, none of these guys, even Keith Carradine's not a. Yeah. He, he's a known guy, but that's but it. But he's not a draw. Yeah. No, Powers Booth. The only thing he had done before this was the the Jonestown movie. Yeah. That's where they saw him and, and cast him in these. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, let me. Hey, quick question. Else, Does anybody know when Deer Hunter came out? A few years before this, seventy years before this. Yeah. Okay. And it's just kind of an interesting thing, just to see so many faces and how one movie brought them all together. Just well, that know, it's like dazing. It's kind of like dazing confused, where you see all these young guys. Or the outsiders. These young right. or the outsiders, these younger actors who are nobodies. And you're like, oh, I've seen him in a million movies since then. Yeah, the casting director, kudos. Or Grizzly movie. 2. Or Grizzly 2. Of course. Or, or a Walter Hill tie-in, which I'm, uh, which has some similarities, The Warriors. Or The Warriors, yeah. Well, th- yes. this movie is very reminiscent of, of yeah. his movie, There's The Warriors. Well, let me give you a, a little bit of quick background on the film. The film was written by Michael Caine. Not that Michael Caine. <laughs> this guy spells it with He's everywhere. This guy spells it with a K. Uh, David Geiler and Walter Hill. Hill directed the film as well, and he's a really cool character in film history. Uh, if you ever get the chance to read some interviews with him or watch him, and he's a he's a cool cat. He not only directed such classics. Get this: The Warriors, The Long Riders Western, which the Doctor and I were just talking about this week. I can't believe I haven't seen that. Forty Eight Hours. Oh yeah. Streets of Fire, which is a oh. really fucking interesting movie. Bruce, that one is one of my favorites. Brewster's Millions with Richard Pryor. Red Heat with Arnold oh and Oh my goodness. And my personal favorite Walter Hill movie, which is, man, if I'm putting this above The Warriors, because I love The Warriors, Bruce Willis's maybe last great big screen movie, Last Man Standing. It was it was Walter Hill remaking Kurosawa, give Bruce Willis two forty fives in the old west sword, not the old west. uh, What was that time period, Doc? The Uh, prohibition. Prohibition day. Um, He also get this. Walter Hill wrote the screenplay for my favorite Steve McQueen movie, The Getaway, and he co-wrote the script for Aliens, which also probably the good parts. Which also borrows themes from Southern Comfort. It does. The group, the the Marines, uh, yes. The infighting, the distrust, 
this is a thing from Warriors to, to Southern Draw. Hey, Arnold didn't trust Belushi. Belushi didn't trust Arnold in Red Heat. Walter Hill, Walter Hill has trust issues. <laughs> I think I think we can say that. I think he also uh, knows how, he just crafts a winning narrative from film. How's that for a fucking career? Fucking awesome. It is an excellent career. Dude, you can Doc, have just one of those movies and call it a career. Doctor, how old is Walter Hill? Is are we going to fill the boot of remembrance for him soon? I don't know off the top of my head, but let me find out. Which we will when he dies, unless we forget, which we usually <laughs> always will. we always do. <laughs> so I'm just going to give him a little shout out now. Good job, buddy. <laughs> Way to go, Buster. Way to go, Buster. <laughs> oh good, man, talk about a good, 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 good yeah. contribution to to pop culture. That is a fucking resume, boys. Uh, I did not realize he did Streets of Fire. That Dude, is that, that Michael Perret. Uh, Walter Hill turned seventy nine this past January and is still uh, very much alive and kicking. Wow. Okay. That's a good run that he's still he's still running. Uh, I'll even forgive him for when he went back to the Warriors and added those animated bullshit sequences. Uh, yeah. Dude, we were talking good about the guy. I had to come in there. And... <laughs> Sorry. Oh my God, he's amazing. Except when he did Sorry. this. Sorry. That son of a bitch. I believe he also uh, directed a lot of episodes of Deadwood on HBO, which he brought back a lot of the cast from his movies, including a lot Powers of Powers Booth? No, not Powers Booth. Powers Booth? Oh, yeah, yes. Powers. Powers Booth was one of the main performers in Deadwood. So was uh, Keith Oh, that's Carradine. right. He played the he played the uh, uh, the rival hotel dude. Uh, Keith Carradine was in it as yeah. Wild Bill Hickok, and uh, Peter Coyote actually appeared in a couple yeah. episodes of Deadwood. Did he? Okay. Um, so there you go. Kind of built this up to be something special. Is it special? Let's it's find kind of, out. Let's kind of find out. Uh, real quick on the cigar. Any more of that raisin? Like, uh... yeah, it's still there. It's just very, it's very subtle. It's just very, very subtle. Dude, look at that construction. Can, look at I can that. Agree with Ted, I can agree with Ted on that on that raisin. Look at that I'm ash. Pick that up. You're starting to get the raisin sweetness on on the draw draw or the retrohead draw. It's there. It's subtle, but it's there. Yeah, it's subtle. It goes really well with those roasted roasted ballpark peanuts. Okay. All right, boys. Uh, And the beers are not the beers are not interfering whatsoever. (laughs) Come on. I'm American so thankful is not interfering. <laughs> Your Dixie Lager doesn't have too much going on. <laughs> it's not going to interfere with anything. Uh-oh. So you're going to go out later after watching this movie. I didn't know my neighbor knew how to play the banjo. There's going to be some skinned possums on stakes out in front of my driveway. <laughs> All right. Oh, Dr. Guns. I'll wait for the doctor to return. And Todd, I, I put those skinned raccoons on your driveway. I'm sorry. <laughs> In all fairness, I was just trying to scare you and freak you out. Oh, I I got them out on the back drying. You coon ass. <laughs> there was one scene in there where a guy like added two coon ass. Like coon ass is bad, but he was like, it was filthy coon ass. Like, I think coon ass implies filthy. Like I, I think that's kind of redundant. You don't need to say like you filthy, dirty coon ass. 
You fucking miserable coon ass. Well, there's no happy coon asses. <laughs> You're living out in the goddamn swamp, skinning coons. You're not happy. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're living the life on their terms. Uh, well, there's something to be said for that. I mean, that's the whole that's that's the whole message of the movie, Cher. Uh, moving on, we start things off deep in the Louisiana woods. The year is 1973. The movie came out in 81, but it's a period piece. This movie took place almost 10 years earlier in 73. And that's important to keep in mind with some of the dialogue and, and the dynamics in, in the group. Uh, Sergeant Poole, played by one Peter Coyote, and his second-in-command, Casper, are leading their National Guard squad in military drills. They're joined by the newly transferred Hardin, played by eternal badass Powers Booth. R.I.P., big guy. Who just came over from the El Paso. Did we fill the booth for Powers Booth? Yes, we did. Yes, I thought we did. we did. Oh, yes. Okay, I don't remember. I hope uh, so. I kind of don't remember, but I... There's no, way, there's no way we didn't. We should we were sure about that. Yeah, you were really sure. <laughs> In our multi-memories, we did indeed fill the... Hold on. Thing. Help help me, memory juice. <laughs> By the way, with uh, all due respect, Ry Cooter, who did the a lot of the music for tonight's film, when they were doing the slow pan across the cypress stumps of the Caddo Lake, a.k.a. Louisiana Swamp... Yes. You're no, you're 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 no CCR born on the bayou, but he wasn't he wasn't uh, supposed to be. CCR I know, born. but if you're going to if you're going to give me a slow swamp crawl, I want some CCR born on the bayou. That would have been the most inappropriate use of music ever. It worked for Swamp Thing. Five of our brothers are dead. Well, if you look at that, he's stabbed to the left in the opening. You see Swamp Thing. <laughs> Well, Actually, everybody's like, well, of course we thought it was Vietnam. You got CCR in there. Yeah, no, CCR would have been a terrible. But right, uh, actually, I, I I listened to some Ry Cooter and uh, yeah, the dude's talent. It was just a, it was just. No, he's like amazing. It. I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna get to him in a second. Uh, well, Hardin Powers Booth just came over from the El Paso unit. He was just transferred, and he's none too happy about it. He's not a fan of chit-chat, and he sees this squad as Louisiana versions of the exact same dumb Texas rednecks he's been surrounded by his whole life. All he wants to do is chain-smoke Marlboros and be left alone. Me style. The American way. I like that. I like it. I felt a kinship. I did. I, just, I, really I did. meshed with this character instantly. At first, as I was watching the guardsmen conduct their drills, I thought there was a horrible mistake in Walter Hill's direction. Because they showed men wheeling equipment around right in front of the active firing range. I'm like, no, they're going to kill these dudes. I'm like, oh, they're, they're firing blanks. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. Uh, I'm sorry for doubting you, Walter. <laughs> uh, as we get to meet the men of the second unit, all the bases are covered. There's the squirmy, smart-ass little worm named Stucky. There's the towering humorless by the book type they call Coach, because he's a football coach in his day job. He's played by the towering Alan Autry from the TV show Heat of the Night. He was the big deputy. Yeah. There's the wisecracking black soldier who puts up with all types of racial bullshit with a forced smile named Cribs, played by the always great TK Carter, who, if you're awesome, you'll recognize from John Carter, John Carpenter's The Thing. Yes. 
There's the gruff, tough guy, Reese, portrayed by gruff, tough guy, Fred Ward of Tremors and Remo Williams fame. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Love, that, love that dude. And the handsome, popular guy in the unit who everybody likes, Spencer, a la Yak Boy's Beer, the Spencer Trappist, uh, is played by Oscar winner. I think he won it for Nashville, the Robert Altman movie. Keith I think he won it actually for a soundtrack song. Oh, is that what he won? A music, a music Oscar. Well, it was a music film, so I guess that makes sense. And I apologize, guys. My lights are flickering, so if you see that. Yeah, hey, I if, should do. If you get sucked up by a tornado, Doc, just try to end your Zoom call or mute it because your walls imploding might audio-wise, that might give us some difficulty. I'll, I'll go out doing my best. And I promise I'll vote for you. Uh, you're suspect right now. <laughs> I saw that. I we'll saw fill that. the boot for Doc. Uh, but you know what? He's been in uh, Keith Carradine's been in a ton of shit, of which I don't think I've ever seen any of it. The Doctor and I were talking about the Long Riders, where he was in it with all his brothers, uh, David Carradine, Robert Carradine against the Keach brothers. I never saw that. I should. I don't think I've ever seen Keith Carradine in anything. Other than the Long Riders, the stuff I remember most from are stuff he did uh, as an older guy. Um, he was in the Cowboys and Aliens movie with uh, Harrison Ford. And then uh, he was great in Deadwood as Wild Bill Hickok. That, and, okay, uh, that's where I know him from, then. I'm going to wow y'all with some shit. Ready for this? Hit mm-hmm. it, hit it, come on. He is the bearded gentleman who is the object of Madonna's affections in the Material Girl video. Yeah, that makes no sense whatsoever. But it's true. Wow. What have you been doing to me? Why have you done this to me? Well, boys. I may not remember I had this beer six months ago, but damn it, I can tell you that. Boys, as you know, as the host of the Two Cent Score Club podcast, I am capable of inviting people and welcoming us them into our Zoom sessions. Surprise, surprise. Joining us now through the magic of Zoom is the fourth Carity brother. I couldn't get Keith. I couldn't get Robert Carradine from Revenge of the Nerds. I, David Carradine of Kung Fu and Kill Bill. He's obviously passed away. You guys didn't see this coming. I'm going to allow him in the Zoom. Please welcome Stu Carradine on the show. He was actually my waiter at a huddle house in Heidenheimer, Texas. And we hit it off. And he spells Carradine with a K, so I don't know if it's... Probably no relation. <laughs> You know what, guys? I'm not the most technically savvy. We'll get to him some other time. (laughs) Stu Carradine. Stu Carradine. How cool would that have been? (laughs) That would have been fantastic. You almost had like a... I saw saw Tuck get all excited. (laughs) It's like, so gullible. He was like, Tuck's like, Keith Carradine? The guy in the movie night? He's like, okay, Robert Carradine. Uh, uh, Lewis from The Ridge of the Nerds? No. Uh, No. Stu, Stu Carradine. Well, Spencer informs his buddies that when they reach the end of their training exercise, a grueling march through the great primordial swamp, as he calls it, he's hired some whores to meet them, Nolene and her bayou queens, to take care of them all when they arrive. And I'm sure they'll have some more interesting ways to fuck us over than the Louisiana National Guard ever has, he says with a grin. Uh, Just wait, Spencer. 
You're about to get fucked over by the National Guard more than you'll ever know. Of course, the highly moral coach doesn't approve at all of these whores. And when the two black soldiers ask if any of the hookers are for them, Spencer says, of course not. The purpose of the Louisiana National Guard is to keep you darker brothers away from decent Southern women. However, in the spirit of the New South, Spirit has made some arrangements for Cribs and Sims. Everyone laughs at this, and later when Spencer drops some choice N-words, casually in conversation, even the black men laugh and play along, because what choice do they have? Like, they're not going to win if they stand Jeez, up. Jeez, man. It was painful to watch. Like, uh, it really was. Uh, but it was but it was accurate. Yeah. It was, it was really interesting because I actually watched this on YouTube. Uh, when I, I did a Google search of it, and it came up as the YouTube movies. It was like the official YouTube movie channel. You to watch ads, though, right? Uh, well, actually, I have a subscription, so there was no ads. Oh, that must have been nice. We had to watch fucking commercials. Yeah, uh, but the YouTube version was only 480p, but still looked okay. Uh, still looked pretty decent. Um, but the bad thing about it is, is that you get YouTube comments, and you see that. And I, I, I just kind of glanced down, and there was this one guy who made the comment of, back when you can insult your buddies and everybody knew that you were just kidding. It was all in good fun. Yeah, they loved it. They loved yeah, it. Yeah, they, they were chuckling their asses off. They loved off. getting called the N-word. They were just living. No. I thought that was very accurate and very sad, but very telling and very true. And everything about it rang authentic, sadly. I wonder if that was a conversation that was had on set before or whether it was just written and they just ran with it. That would have been interesting to see how that, that scene was shot. It would have been sad, but I mean, there's a, there's a ton of movies from the, especially the seventies when this was actually the way things were, where that was the norm and you had black actors being called the N word on screen. And I don't think there were sensitivity meetings and, you know, like they do now, like I didn't think they, they would have like a counselor on set to, I'm sorry you had to do that scene today. No, I mean, none of that shit exists. It was just, you're getting paid to be an actor. And I bet a lot of these actors went home and fucking cried their eyes out because I spent all day on set, you know, being called what I get called. It's bullshit. But I especially thought it was really- when, Especially in that one scene where they're talking about doing the canisters the cops shooting the canisters at the guys oh, please, like, man. no you mr know. officer don't shoot me with no canister and i was like, just like holy and that and it and it's got a down the line shot of him looking at this guy saying that and i was just like wow but i but i think but i think it was i think it was really good of the script and the actor because i mean what are these guys gonna do they're about to march through the fucking swamp for a couple days with these white guys if you don't make jokes about it and if you don't let it roll off your back then i mean how could you possibly survive it mentally? yeah it's 1973 a- you're in a squad with nine people seven of them are honkies and you're about to go march off into the swamp with them and like you said Cade, you you know what what are you gonna do yeah we'll i think i'm gonna take the line from hamburger hill don't mean nothing I think this is an interesting film to watch now in 2021. You brought it up because ultimately Spencer, the guy using the N word is one of our heroes, or at least one of our main protagonists in the film we're supposed to root for. And he's the one dropping 
these N-bombs. And yes, Carradine, Keith Carradine plays him superbly with charm and smarts and all the traits that make great cinema heroes. But unlike maybe a movie audience in 1981, I just couldn't get past in the, this is before the credits have rolled. He's doing this. I couldn't get past that blatant racism by Spencer here to care about him at all. Even though the film takes place in 1973 and it was a different time. It's just like, as the movie went on and on, I'm like, Oh, he's, he's the hero. He's the, out of all these dudes, he's like supposed to be the best of them. And he's the only one that's dropped in bombs. It was, it was just kind of a, in 2021, it was strange. Does that mean I think Southern Comfort should get canceled and completely erased from history? Fuck no. Don't be stupid. Well, it you just, know, and- it just means, yes, I'm mature enough to realize it's a period piece taking place in the early 70s, Louisiana, even if it was released in 81, when I would hope at least some people in the audience would feel the same way I did and be like, I'm supposed to root for this guy. And I'm able to, because I'm not a moron, move on with my life after watching it without starting a petition for everything that offends me. Ultimately, I'll just say that I found it an odd choice from a screenwriting perspective. If you felt like you had to get that race that race angle in there, there's a lot of shady dudes in this unit. You could have had them say the N-word and had them made those things and make Carradine a little bit, his Spencer character, take that off him so we have somebody to kind of root Unless for. that's not your mentality as a screenwriter being 1980s. And you saw well, nothing wrong with it as you were writing it. Probably late seventies. Yeah. But I but I look at it from the other instance that you know he's writing this and maybe he's also saying you know what my shining hero is not shining. That's that's hey there we need to have movies with imperfect heroes too. And so you know I mean maybe in this instance and you know and because like you know you you draw from his other works as well. And this, you know, as well, you know, throughout the movie, I mean, there really is, you know, all these characters interacting. I mean, it's 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 really not so much that you have a hero just so that you just have different people who have. Yeah, we we don't we don't together. we don't all need pretty boy uh, flawless heroes. So so yeah, the, the, we can we can have paintings with with all strokes of the brush. We certainly get a, a unique one here. Um, Real quick, guys, uh, I got, dude, I've got your raisin. I, I'm getting the, the pepper is so subdued in the second half gotcha. on the retro hail. It's just mainly that mineral, uh, uh, with a little, a little earthy undertone on the, on the retro hail. And then on the draw, I'm getting the cedar. My roasted peanuts have died down a little bit. It's just that woodsy cedar. Yeah. But man, there's just that undercurrent of that, that's nominally sweet raisin. Uh, dried fruit kind of sweetness on the draw. It's nice. It's and it's completely different than anything else from Southern Draw. True. Uh, the closest thing that I would kind of put it to is uh, Firethorn in terms of uh, fullness. It's lightness, I guess, would be the adjective. Uh, but this has, like I said, it's it's far more sweeter than the than the. I, uh, I, I'm putting this in uh, medium Firethorn. strength, medium, <coughs> medium strength, medium body. Yeah. So far. Okay, and and my uh, my Louisiana beer is is going just fine with it. It's it's plain nice. It's not adding anything to it. It's not taking anything away. If you guys experience anything crazy with your beers, let me know. Otherwise, I'll keep chugging. Keep I'll keep on chugling. Keep on chugling. Keep on chugling. 
when the getting to know you bowl session is cut short when a total misfit, the guy named Stucky, I told you about, he grabs an M60 machine gun Rambo style and starts firing dozens of rounds of blanks at his commanding officers to lighten the mood. Yeah, there's nothing like seeing your commanding officers cower in fear from being shot. To, but it's the National Guard. They're like, oh, Stucky. And you can't, they don't have discipline in the Guard? I mean, apparently not. N- not in 1973, anyway. Okay. Anybody besides me think Stucky looked like a kind of Southern fried version of James Franco? He had a very Franco-ish <sighs> mask about him. He actually reminded me of somebody, and it drove me crazy. I couldn't place it. I, I, Van, I, I have been, oh, you know who it is? And you're going to hate me for this. Virgin River. He's the uh, the misfit soldier. That's who it was. There's a Netflix show that Tut and I, or I never would have had to watch if Tut didn't recommend it on Facebook, and my wife saw that post. I did Thank not you. recommend this thing by my my wife. There's a guy, yeah, yeah, but he does have a Franco-esque uh, nature to him too. But yeah, you're right on the Virgin River guy. Um, but yeah, there's no repercussions. He totally makes his command officers piss their pants. He's like, oh, Stucky, knock it off. Um, that Stucky's a squirmy little son of a bitch, isn't he? He's good for the role because I didn't like him instantly. Yeah, which was the goal, and he does it great. Um, after one last pep speech from Sergeant Poole about teamwork, relying on each other, and at the end of all that, he begs them, for once in your lives, will you just act like real soldiers, please? <laughs> it's kind of like those speeches I used to give you guys before the barn smokers we worked. Jesus Christ, just please, guys, just up your, like you're doing up something. yours, Cade. That's why I only went on the one. Why Tut had that M60. And I had the camera. The... <laughs> uh, well, they all they all give a somewhat in unison, not really chant of civilian in peace, soldier in war, I am the guard. But they're kind of giggling. They, 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 it's it reminded me, it was so half-assed, it was like we were uh, watching one of our screwball 80s comedies where the students are reciting the school song at Buster Burger University. <laughs> totally like, I thought we were watching a police academy movie. Yeah. It was crazy. So the men of Bravo unit, top men, yeah. Top men. Top men. All gear up and step into the swamp to begin their overnight recon and patrol mission. The goal of this uh, practice mission is to make good time traveling through grueling conditions. So no tents, no sleeping bags, no nothing that might slow them down. I got to tell you, the establishing swamp footage here by cinematographer Andrew Laszlo, as the men slosh their way through the water, is superb. Todd even said in 4 is not even in HD, it looked great. Um, I mentioned earlier uh, Remo Williams, the film, and mm-hmm. First Blood, the first Rainbow film. He was the cinematographer on those, too. Oh, okay. And the score by longtime Walter Hill collaborator Ry Cooter is soaked in Cajun-influenced kind of music, six-string, low-key doom. It's that Delta Blues slide. Yes, really, but really just low-keys and slow and minimal. And what I what I love too is the the absence of score, like in the tense moments, and then the Hill uses the sounds of the swamp instead of obvious yeah. foreboding music. Uh, he worked with Rykuder throughout his career, 
Ry Cooter's last man standing score is one of my favorite scores of all time. Check that one out. Oh my God. That's the opposite. That's he uses that score to just kick down doors and just bow like it's it's in your yeah. face. It's, it's really, really awesome. Um well the men uh come across some fishermen netting as they trudge through the swamp and they just lift it up. It's full of fish, they just cut it in half, TNCC stuff. Well, this is our way. Get rid of that. Uh fuck it. I thought all right. So now not only is there no likable ones that he, they're all dicks. Well, I didn't know whether they were doing that just to get through or whether they were like if there was like some sort of law enforcement uh tie-in, you know, they they're came not, across they came not. across a trot line, illegal trot line, maybe These I don't know. These guys aren't enforcing poaching laws. They're just dickheads. <laughs> I think it's a, a continuing theme throughout, which is that these are not and total disrespect for anything. They're not. They're in the National Guard. They're not real soldiers. They're not guys who've seen combat. They're guys who are in the guard. They get paid for it. They go out for their one weekend a month. I, and I to have to fun. get. I have to stress because I know well, we have military people that watch this. No, no, no. It's the eighties guard. The perception of this before the Rumsfeld transformation. Well, yes. That's what. That's what they're trying to show. That's what Walter Hill is trying to show. That's not a personal opinion of mine. Jesus Christ. Now we live in a situation where you have to preface that. That's not a pref that's not that's not me talking. I'm that just is, saying this is what the theme was in the movie. It's is so off but dude, Doctor, you don't need to because it's so obvious in the movie. I mean I they I do. They they talk they talk about I just want when, to see you uh, protected, Vince. I just want to see you protected. They, they talk about when Hardin transferred from the El Paso National Guard. He's like, we had our shit organized. All we had to do was watch the ball game and play cards. You guys are, you know, and like that. The movie tells us that we don't need the doctor to tell us what the the zeitgeist was of the guard in this year. I mean, the movie tells us they literally had never seen combat. They never thought they would see combat, and it was just a, a once, what once a month or once every two months bull session. And that's why Fred Ward is slicing that net. And that's, what, and that's There's what no fucking process. and that's what fucking makes the movie work. If they were today's National Guardsmen, these Cajun dudes would be toast. We wouldn't have a movie. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, it's not long before their map leads them to a giant body of water, where there isn't supposed to be a giant body of water. Sergeant Poole reckons that the channels must have shifted with the winter rains. There are fish strung up and animal hides hanging from a bunch of trees nearby. The men also discover some rustic wooden canoes or yaks. How do you say this? Pierogues? I believe so, yes. I was going to say pierogies, but that's a sandwich, right? Yes. Yes. Actually, pierogi is like a pasta shell stuffed with the... Oh, is it? Yeah. Now I'm hungry. They they do not climb into three large pasta shells. (laughs) Uh, stuffed pasta shells. Well, these these canoes are what the indigenous uh, Cajun people use to get around. These these really hand carved wooden canoes. And after a brief debate, they're like, "Look, we can either take these canoes across this waterway, or we got to march all the way back to base and start all over again with a new plan." They agree. All right, we'll leave in the canoes. But coach, write these write the owner a letter telling him what we did. You see him with his little pen and paper writing a letter. I hope they read this letter. (laughs) Uh, The nine men are ecstatic, though. 
because by taking these canoes across the water, it's going to cut a ton of time off their mission, and it should get them to Nolene and her whores way sooner than expected. They, like, cut their trip in half. They're going to get laid. Got to have a go. They're going to get laid. Um, well, the boys aren't paddling out in the swamp very long before they see four men holding hunting rifles along the side of the water not far away. Good Lord. The way this frame is shot, huge wide shot of the, the side of the lake. You've got these four guys, bottom right-hand corner on the side of the water. The other 75% of the screen is just trees covered in Spanish moss. It's my favorite shot of the film. And they're just standing there stoically. Not you moving are the out in the ship. Oh my God, it's a great shot. Uh, well, asshole Reese curses at them in broken French. Fred Ward, he's like, Visumi, fuck me! Or something like that. Uh... The sergeant's like, shut up! Like, serious. But it gets much worse, doesn't it, guys? Uh, oh, but before that, coach yells out, read my note! <laughs> we left a note! Read my note I left! Uh, but the men just stand there in silence. Suddenly, the clownish Stucky, James Franco, lifts up his M60 and screams, take no prisoners! And fires off like 50 rounds of blanks at these Coon asses, as they're called by our heroes. They prefer to be called Acadians. Acadians? Acadians. Fires 50 rounds at these coon ass Acadians. Sergeant Poole is pissed. But he's smart enough to know that with no live ammunition amongst his troops, they better start paddling their asses off. Those guys had real guns. And that's exactly what they do, but they're not fast enough as one of the hunters played by Tut. Uh, I don't know his name, but it's the Blade Runner dude. No, that's not who shoots. Oh. Doctor? Well, we couldn't We couldn't really... I couldn't tell from the shooting that it oh, was Oh, I could tell by the mustache. The mustache told you. But it know. was uh, Sonny Landham. Billy from Predator. What? Yes. Hi. Walter Hill the end of the movie, he's everywhere. The guy with the big black mustache? Totally missed him. He was he, he looked younger. Of course he was younger. What I, could, I couldn't tell from the scene from the shooting, but it was obviously at the end it's definitely him. It's Sonny Landham fucking, who uh fucking Cajun Sonny Landham, Billy from Predator, <laughs> finds up <laughs> takes one shot with his gun. Dude, how did I miss Sonny? Oh man, I'm so disappointed in you. And I and that Dude, you've missed a lot over the years, but this one this one hurts. Um, and, dude, we see a close-up on the mustache, close-up on the trigger, and boom! The single bullet he fires out into that lake. Yeah, I saw, the, I saw the large bore. It was, like a large, it was almost like a musket, the thing that was so big, but it had, like, the octagonal bore. That shot removes a sizable chunk of Sergeant Poole's skull, killing him instantly. Dude, it was like JFK document footage. He slumped Slumps over in the canoe. His men panic as they fall out of their boats and swim like crazy to the shore. Well, that's not entirely true. Coach panics, jumps out of his canoe, and for some reason goes around and just tips over all the other canoes. <laughs> He's trying to create shelter. I'm creating shelter. It's not the last batshit crazy thing Coach will do, I should mention. 32 years later, he'd go on to star as Mayor Ganey in some ridiculous CW series called Hearts of Dixie. Huh. Wait, hang oh. on. Uh, one thing, pull pull your mic a little closer to you. 
Yeah. Oh, you said Hearts of Dixie, not Heart of Dixie. I was like, hearts. no, that's not, that's Mayor Levon Hayes. That ain't that ain't him. Hearts of Dixie. He played the mayor in some show called Hearts of Dixie, but okay. I'm sure you guys never saw that. Wait, Alan Autry was in. He was Mayor Ganey in Hearts of Dixie. Which who was in that? It was a, a CW series that Tut watched, and I just wanted to make fun of it. No, it was Heart of Dixie, and that was played by Black Lightning, and that was Mayor LaVon Hayes. Oh, so what's the series Heart of Dixie? Heart of Dixie is the CW where, uh, what's her name? The cute little Rachel girl? Bilson. Uh, uh, yeah, Rachel Bilson. She plays the New York doctor, goes down to, goes down to Alabama. Uh, to uh, Bluebell, Alabama, starts That's, practice. I, I, I watched that show, Tut, and I, I have no shame in it because who wouldn't want to watch Rachel Bilson? But uh, I, I don't recall Alan Autry being in that. Yeah, this, he this wasn't. Is, Tim Mathis was in it. This, this is this is blown uh, back, really backwards in my face. I, th- I thought it was a, a quick, quick little joke. Uh, yeah, he, Tut, the show, the Tut, the show that you and I watched with the. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Rachel Bilson and Tim Matheson and uh, and Mayor uh, Levon Hayes, former football player Levon Hayes. Yeah, that that uh, that that was a good show. Uh, I don't recall Alan Autry being in that one at he all. He wasn't. It was five seasons of pure joy. Look, he played a he played Mayor Ganey on a on a TV show called Heart of Dixie. I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is a perfect example to. You to got the wrong. Me. You got the wrong Dixie. I got the wrong Dixie. How's your Dixie beer treatment? That's, how's that? Honestly, Todd, it looks like he was, on that, Todd, he was on that show. He was in nine episodes. Kay just said it wrong. He said Hearts of Dixie. It was called Heart of Dixie. But he was only in nine episodes. He wasn't really a main character. Nine I episodes. I don't, remember, I don't remember him. what character he was Nine episodes. Me neither. My, my joke stands. Nine episodes is is that's concrete. Well, now I'm going to have to watch it again. It's a... Uh, Unfortunately, your, it's your derogatory one. your derogatory comment about a show that featured Rachel Bilson, Jamie King, Cress Williams, who was Deshaun Hardell on 90210, the great Tim Matheson. That your your derogatory snide comments don't stand up. That's true. It takes a big man to say he was sorry. And we won't expect that from you. I'm not a big man. And, and all right, you know what? He'll do some other crazy stuff in tonight's movie too. Okay, can we just move on? <laughs> Jesus. You brought this on yourself. Now I gotta watch Heart of Hearts of Dixie, whatever the hell it's called. Heart, heart, heart of Dixie, with a singular heart. heart. That's what I said. Heart of Dixie. No, you didn't. You said hearts. I tell you what, I'm gonna help you out here. I'm gonna help you out here, Cade. You dug this hole yourself. I'm gonna pull you out of it because kind of guy I am. Walter Hill Staple or a theme. Yes, 48 Hours. He was in 48 Hours. No, Uh, a theme. After Sergeant Poole gets shot, the leaderless group. Yes. The Warriors, at the beginning, it's Cleon, the big badass Cleon. He gets taken down first. Yeah. So they've got to figure out who's going to reestablish kind of a leadership. And in Aliens, when they first encounter the Aliens, it's the tough badass Staff Sergeant, Sergeant Apone. He goes down first, and the lieutenant gets knocked out. So, again, that's a theme that Walter Hill finds interesting, which is interesting. If the leader of the group goes down first – and they're leaderless, 
Now what do they do? And who's going to reestablish command? You're absolutely right, Doctor. Thank you. And I think that also happened on an episode of Hearts of Dixie. I think the uh, it did. Uh, Mayor Levon Hayes got the flu, and again, Doc was out of town. Hearts, Hearts of Dixie was never a fucking show. I said Heart of Dixie. You said Hearts right then. If you're gonna break my balls, that's fine. But get your shit together. The proof, the proof is in the Jeez, Kate, if you're gonna break my balls, get your shit together. The little Why, red apple on this. Yes, yes, you do. The little red apple cigar. Uh, it's got some sweetness, like an apple. It's got the reddish hues on the wrapper, like an apple. Uh, I can see why they went with the name. Um, I'm entering the final third. I think you guys are too, from what I can tell. Um, man, for me, the the roasted peanuts was was such a nice note. Uh, the cedar is highly enjoyable. But uh, I'm with you guys, man. That fruity, dried fruit, call it raisins. I'll go with raisins. Um, it's not sweet raisins, you're right, Tuck, but there, there is some sweetness there, yeah. but it's it's subdued, but it works really well. It, it commingles really well with that cedar mm-hmm. uh, on it the really draw. Does. And it, when, that, when the peanuts left, uh, I was like, you know, well, you know, is it just going to be cedar? And then boom, there came the raisins. Um, for me, the, the draw that pepper is non-existent in the final third, it's, it's pretty much all kind of just a low key earthiness and mineral. Yeah. I was about to say the earthiness really kind of picks up in the, that last third. That's what, that's what I'm kind of doing. I've still, I'm still got the cedar galore. I still got this, the nice little raisin on the retro hill a little bit. Uh, but yeah, that earthiness on the draw is kind of real picked up. Um, do you guys, while we're uh, just talking about it right now, if you guys get anything more out of it, let me know. But uh, do you want to talk price point? Yeah, let's go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, boy, you didn't make fun of me for my heart of Dixie. No, uh, no. Oh, oh. Never watched the show. I, 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 didn't, I don't get the CW. Um, what is the price of the cigar yet? Oh, when it was released, this was the only Vitola. Um, this, I guess, this would be described as a Toro. Uh, they're going to be releasing two other sizes, I believe, this year. But uh, this is it. Um, it was their last release of last year. Um, we don't know where the tobacco came from. We just know what the. Oddly the, enough, it's one of the few Southern Draw offerings that's not available at Smokers Abbey. Yeah, it is a. It's not a limited release, but um, I guess they got them out to where they could get them out. Um, I will repeat, it's not like anything I've I've had from Southern Draw, um, but man, it's, it's got some really nice flavors. Construction, as always, I've never had a badly constructed Southern Draw cigar. Yak boy, lay it on me, and it's a slow smoking cigar. This thing's lasted long. Yeah, I, I I really liked it. I'm gonna. That's a tough one. I'm don't, gonna forget, go. don't forget, some proceeds go to help Native Americans. Uh, that's that is a good point. I'm gonna go ten fifty. Ten fifty. We go eleven thirty-five. Eleven thirty-five. Don't know if I've ever paid that for a cigar, but we'll go with that. Uh, no, the price point on this guy, it's 
admittedly a, a little bit higher than most Southern draw offerings. Fourteen ninety nine. Fourteen ninety nine. Yeah. Which you know, I mean, Southern draw is a lot like Romacraft, and um, I always kind of thought of those two as. Man, they're they're kind of top range stuff. When you go into a humidor, is usually around the twelve, twelve buck mark. So yeah, it's a little bit more. Well, uh, when when Robert tells me that there's a price formula for the cigar and everything is just a little bit, there's there's a margin on the on the uh, on the production of it, and that's it. He goes, it's a hard fixed margin that they do on all of their entire lines. So regardless of whether you're doing the Rose of Sharon to the Manzanita. They're going to make the same profit off of that that deal, and it's going to cost what it costs to make it. So I can definitely uh, I can respect that. So if he tells me it costs X amount of dollars to do it, then I understand it. And it's also like you said, there's a lot of uh, charity tie-ins to his cigars, yeah. so I can understand that there's a little bump there. So yeah, I mean I can I can understand the price point there. Okay. Um, yeah, me too. Um... Now here's the here's the question. Would you pay fourteen dollars for this in in a lounge? You walk into a lounge. There's all this. You got the Rosa Sharon over right next to it. You got the Cedrus next to it. You got the Manzanita there. So you're talking anywhere from the ranges of uh, what nine dollars to fourteen dollars. What I'll do be you honest, do? The Rose of Sharon and all its Vitolas is my soft spot for Southern Draw. I love that cigar. Uh, I'm gonna try to, in fact, I'm gonna try to fit it into our schedule this year, a, a different by toll than we've had before. I, I, I just, I love that cigar, but it does not pairing wise go with, you know, if I'm if I'm drinking something heavier. Yeah, or, that's true. That's gonna blast that. that the um, out there. And you know what? I, I I've been on the record as saying, well, I really like the the brimstone, the big. Presidente honker Jacob's ladder that we had. Yeah. The the other ones, um, I, I kind of felt underwhelmed by strength wise. This 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 I would put this one kind of underneath that as a, as a you know the closest thing to a teetering to full medium. Uh, Firethorn doesn't go there. Kudzu no. doesn't go there. Actually, I actually I'll disagree with you on there. I like the uh, the Kudzu Perfecto is probably one of my favorite Perfectos. Box press Perfecto. It's Got some strength. A, to it. It's a beautiful cigar. It is a beautiful cigar. Uh, no, I, I've had it. I like. I just didn't remember yeah. having a, a, a lot of. Lajeros. No, I mean it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not a ball buster, but it's heavy enough to where you're like, yes, I'm smoking it. I'm smoking. I can a taste. I can taste. Cigar. I can pick up the Lajero in this, which yeah. I, I don't remember getting so much out of that. But okay, well, it's a it's a, it's a really enjoyable cigar. Um, price price point be damned. Uh, it's a low smoking cigar, perfectly constructed. We've got some really nice flavors. Anytime I can get roasted ballpark peanuts and some uh, some some raisin like sweetness coming and going. I was surprised. I was surprised at that raisin, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I like a lot it. of times like you'll it. get that sweet raisin on the cold draw. You know, that's kind of nice. But uh, I can't tell you how many rarely, times. Very rarely have I gotten it. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a delicious uh, raisin-like sweetness on the cold draw, and it never showed up whatsoever once I set fire to that fucking yeah. cigar. Okay. Um, I'm gonna switch beers here in a minute, Yak. So I need you to to introduce my my third and final beer uh, momentarily. But let's get back to the film real quick. From here on out, the film becomes a type of morality play. 
exploring each character's flexibility with what they believe is right and wrong. And they're very malleable concepts of teamwork and brotherhood. Whether it's whose fault it was that they're in this meth, some blame Stucky for shooting that M64 blanks at the Cajuns. Some blame Coach for jumping out and tipping everybody's canoes over. It's kind of hard to row away to safety when the big guy knocks you out of your boat. They also disagree on the decision of what they should do with Sergeant Poole's body. Some The hard asses like Reese, Fred Ward, and Stucky just want to leave him there. Are we supposed to carry him all the way through the swamp? Hey, he's a Vietnam hero. We're not leaving him here. That That's a point of contention. Uh, and the straight-up selfishness of Reese, who actually brought along some live ammunition and refuses it to share with his fellow soldiers once the shit hits a fan. Uh, that is until Power's fucking booth comes up behind him and sticks a knife to his throat. He shares it pretty quick then. <laughs> Another team can be used briefly in Aliens when they find out that uh, they can't fire their pulse rifles because of the, the the where they're in that basically the big nuclear reactor, and so they've got to collect the magazines, and the guy with them gets killed. It, this is in the first hour of the movie, and it's 1986, so no spoiler alert. So well, thanks for ruining it for me. And uh, the one the one soldier Vasquez, the female soldier, saved a couple of clips, and that's all they got until they get back to their equipment. But it's, so they again, it's the same thing of because I thought that was very interesting tactically, and I don't want to bog down on that. But I mean, uh, so yeah, because they were M16s, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, and every everything I've ever heard from an actual Vietnam soldier was that an M16 was a piece of shit. Uh, the early models, yes. But it's 20 rounds, and it's 20 rounds, right? Well, I mean... It's one clip? I believe so. 20, So, so it, it looked like 20. I thought it was 20. Pool's dead, so that's eight guys with 20 rounds. I mean, you don't want one guy having it, but do you split it up to where everybody's got two to three rounds? I don't know. I was inter- that was a very interesting. That's really good writing. It's well, really I know the guy, so I'm not giving anything to Stucky. That dude's gonna. Yeah, fuck Stucky. <laughs> and Sims, probably not cries. Coach. No. And when the Sims, the dude who, whenever shit gets bad, he cries to his mommy. Probably shouldn't give him more than maybe one. I mean, maybe I'd give it to Powers Booth, but I'm not sure that that dude's not gonna shoot me. And I'm not sure I'm giving any to Coach, the guy who just dumped us no, all out no of No Coach, food. no Coach. I thought that yeah. was a really cool aspect it, it, of that they they're not totally bereft of live ammo. One real hard ass who you probably can't trust has brought one clip. Yeah. And what do you do? Well, I think it's clear to say, Doc, and you're right, that's really good uh intricate screenwriting, but it's clear I think it's clear to a blind man these guys are clearly not the unified team of Predator <laughs> or or even the TNCC for Christ's sake. Even we function better than these buffoons. I'm, I'm letting Yaks keep the ammo, by the way. Oh, yeah. I think I, have I, think, I think we're all in agreement. Just l- let him have it all. Yeah. Uh, I've been hunting with these guys. Trust me. <laughs> uh, but it all feels extremely real. With every interaction and every reaction to the growing chaos coming across, these guys are 100% believable. Oh, great acting performances across the board. Okay. All right, good. We're in agreement there. It doesn't help their cause of finding help 
when you factor in that they lost both the map and their compass and their radio when coach dumped them all in the water. But Casper's got the stripes on his jacket. So he's officially in charge now. And he says they're marching east through the swamp to find north or some shit like that. Yaks, as our point man, when we go on trips and travel, did that argument about how to follow the sun to the highway by going, did that make any sense to you whatsoever? I, I was like, I'm the fact that like nobody other than the guy that had the map who was now dead, the fact that there was no communication. No, but I just mean, did the part about we got to go east to get north, like, did that make any sense to you? Well, if they were going east to find some place that would eventually allow them to have a better viewing to really see where they are, because, I mean, the whole time, you know, and this is one of the things, like, we got to follow the sun, but the way they shot the movie it seems like it's a perpetual cloud cover. They're suffocated in fog and trees. You're right. So I'm like, how? And the other thing is, is like, if you're lost, the they do none of these things. And I'm like, I would figure that even terrible National Guard would teach you some basics, like if you're lost. And considering that you're in Louisiana... You're in the United States, stop and build a fire. Someone's going to see the smoke. Yeah, the guys that are now hunting you are going to see the smoke. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that, but prior to that, I mean, just... I, I just, watching these guys uh, fumble over the lack of a map or a compass and all that, I just had the thought of, like, when we go on our road trips, I was like, can you imagine without, like, a phone GPS how fast we would crumble into like we'd show up at the Louisiana Bard Smoker and be like, Hey, Cade, Yax, we made it. Where, where's Tuttle? Uh, we killed him ten minutes after leaving the New Orleans airport. We had no cho- we had no choice. Well, I think it was interesting because this is before cell phones, so you didn't have the problem of how do you get rid of cell phones to put them into that situation. Oh, the, here the they here they had to get rid of the map and the radio to put them into the the crisis situation. And the tipping of the canoe was a good good deal. And these guys are so believable as bumbling soldiers that you'd believe that they just crapped everything. It does. When they set up camp that first night after they get lost, there's a hilarious exchange between Cribs and Coach. Cribs is standing guard on sentry duty, so naturally he's smoking a joint to kind of take the edge off. Coach walks by, as a high school football coach, and he asks Cribs how he can smoke that shit. Relax, Coach. I ain't on your team. Damn right you're not. You couldn't make the squad. That stuff kills your will to win. How'd your boys do this year, Cribs asks. Coach lowers his head and suddenly transforms into Jerry Jones, the Cowboys owner. It was a rebuilding year. I mean, we had some key injuries to personnel. We uh, we finished three and seven. What do you what do you do for a living anyway? Changing the subject. I pick up a little cash pimping here and there, but most of what I turn over comes from selling dope to high school kids. You're goddamn lucky. I don't believe you. The boiling mad coach mutters. No, it's true, Coach. And some of my best customers are at Fremont High, and they were 10-0 and 0 this year, Coach. Oh, man, I love that actor playing uh, Cribs. 
That's good stuff. The next morning, they come across a small shack where one of the Cajun hunters is skinning some freshly caught minks. I almost wore my mink jacket tonight, but it's kind of balmy outside, so I didn't. Um, it's a little warm out. Would that have got me canceled? Probably. Probably. Casper gives his men their orders to swiftly and quietly surround the shack in order to apprehend the prisoner. But Coach freaks out once again, like when he accepted that role on Hearts of Dixie. Wrong one again. Heart of Dixie. Damn it. Uh, trying to be a trying to be a dick and can't even pull that off. I think I worked. It, I, I think I've got like six more references to that stupid show you guys watch, and I'm gonna get it wrong every time. You like how the show is stupid when Cade doesn't watch it, but if he watches it, then it can't be criticized? That's correct. I mean, you know, I mean, Virgin River's got some okay scenes. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Coach charges, moving on, Coach charges his way from the back of the squad like a madman, firing his precious live ammo up in the air. Dude, his only real bullets, and he fires them up in the sky. And when he reaches the shack and holds the one-armed hunter at gunpoint, the man is played by none other than Dr. Brian James. Are you sure it's Brian B-R-I-O-N? I think it's Breon. Have you ever heard of a man called Breon? No, but I've never met a chick named Demi, but she's a, she's an actress. Not sure I see the parallel. Why would you spell Brian? Why would you spell Brian with an why would you spell Brian B-R-I-O-N? He's a limey. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's English. Who knows what them fucking people do? Oh, I didn't realize he was English. Yeah. Oh. Maybe it is Brian. I, I've always called him Breon James. Well, I mean, we can't ask him because he's passed away, but I, I've always said he Brian. He has passed away, but uh, most notably known, at least to me, in one of my top ten movies of all time, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. He was a replicant. Walter Hill um, Staple. He's in Forty Eight Hours. He's in uh, he's in the Red Heat. Uh, and fucking guy. He's in Tango and Cash. I gotta tell you though, I'm Sport just gonna tut ponytail. He's in Tango and Cash. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I thought the best I've seen him is in tonight's movie. He acts more with just his face and his his eyes. He really delivers the goods in this role because you got to now. Granted, he clearly has an arm strapped to his side. He's got this big ass jacket on with one arm, but he's clearly it's a huge jacket. Like yeah, you can yeah. tell he still has an arm. But uh, dude, he's so good in this. I liked him because he wasn't like. I mean, the problem with he's got that distinct, that very distinctive look. Uh, but he wasn't like, you know, crazy. He wasn't villainous. I mean, he was, he was just a regular dude. It was just, I, I believed him that he was just some lone trapper, you know, there down in, in the swampland. Well, the usually quiet passive soldier Sims punches. Hey, the I, want, I want to correct my mistakes. I apologize. Brian James is not English. I thought he was. I'm sorry. He's from Tucson. He's American. Okay, I'm gonna go with Breon then. I think his name is Breon James. I don't know why I thought that, but I'm gonna go still with Brian because I've never heard of a male who named himself Breon. <laughs> it's like guys who spell their names G E O F F. My whole like until I was in my 30s, I called those guys Geoff. Geoff. It's like it's like it's, like, uh, it's Jeff. I'm like, well, if you want to be Jeff, why don't you spell, spell it? it like Jeff? Jeff. 
If you're going to spell your name Breon, I'm going to call you Breon. Sorry. No, 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 I thought it was English. I could have sworn it, but he, he, he was he's not. My bad. Okay. And this is where we've overturned our own canoes, and we are just trudging through the podcast <laughs> in all well, different dude, directions. Sims punches the Cajun in the face near the knockout cold, and Fred Ward Reese, the tough guy, I love his line. You almost knocked his mouth clear down to his ass. Dude, he, he took this dude out. Did any of y'all recognize Sims, the other black uh, soldier? I Negative. did not. I only did because, and it's weird when I bring this show up, you guys are all, we're all around the same age. Nobody else remembers it. He played Dexter Stuffins, the toy maker dad's personal assistant on the Ricky Schroeder sitcom, Silver Spoons. He was always following around the dad, like, this is so expensive. You can't do this, sir. He was wow, like, a, because I watched the crap out of Silver Spoons. And he I was, he, he was on every episode. Okay. Though. I don't, I don't remember it. I remember the theme song, but I don't, I don't remember the show. Here we are, face to face, a couple of silver spoons, looking to find, we're two of a kind, make it. All right, I'm not going to do all this. All right. Um, Believe it or forget. not, I'm walking on air. No. Oh. Together, we're going to find our way. Well, I'm going to keep calling him Breon just because it's all I've always said it, Doc. Who knows who's right, who's wrong? Well, Breon James only speaks French, and barely that with a broken jaw, so they tie a, they tie his one arm up with a bunch of rope. He's the shooter. I saw him, says Reese. Yaks, could a guy with one arm shoot Sergeant Poole in the head from over 100 yards away with one shot from a rifle? Well, if he's practiced, sure. But... In high-stress situations, at distances like that, no. How can you tell? A moving guy in a canoe? Right. My money is either on Yaks or Young Paul to make that shot. Correct. Let's not bring Young Paul into this. We all know what he's capable of. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he'd be tied up (laughs) by the end of the experience. Um. Well, they prepare to leave with their prisoner once they all once they get all the supplies they need from the shack. Dude, he's got loads of food, guns, ammo. He's even got sticks of dynamite, which he uses for fishing, which is awesome. It looks like our guardsmen highly are illegal. Back. It it looks like our guardsmen are back in business, baby. Right? Yeah. Wrong. They what? don't get to retrieve any of those valuable things because Coach once again freaks the fuck out and ruins everything. This time he marches into the shack, opens up a can of red paint, paints a big bright red cross across his bare chest, lights a Molotov cocktail, and blows the shack and all of its contents to smithereens. Man, Breon James, the one-armed Cajun here, does some masterful acting with just his eyes as he watches all of his belongings burn to the ground. Like, just his expression on his face, man. You, there's a lot I'm going to point out moving forward of just these actors doing a subtle thing with their face. This cast is fucking balls deep in talent. Um, as far as coach goes, Harden turns to Spencer afterwards as he lights up a Marlboro in a rare moment where he talks at this point. He says, 
I got news for you. He's nuts. I mean, really fucking nuts. You know what else is really fucking nuts, Cut? What's fucking nuts? The amazing variety of the absolutely sublime cigars produced by our friends over at Drew State. Oh, boy, you ain't lying there. Hey, I've actually smoked a Swamp Thang cigar right outside the Louisiana swamps mm-hmm. thanks to the amazing Drew Estate barn smoker events. And God willing, I hope we get to do that again someday. And speaking of Drew Estate, let's talk about one of their newer offerings for a hot minute. Crafted by level nine Cuban rollers at the famed El Titan de Bronze on Cali Ocho. The Herrera Steli Miami line is expertly rolled with a lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder with select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. That's quite a blend. The new look of Herrera Steli Miami features a rich black and gold package, and it's available in five sizes. I smoked the cigar many times, and it's truly one of Willie Herrera's masterpieces. So jump in your car or jump online right now and get your hands on some. What are you waiting for? Do it now. We'll do we'll it wait. right now, sir. Actually, we're running a little behind, so we won't wait for you. But you just <laughs> go out and do it. And as we're giving shout-outs, I'd also like to mention Cigar World. Cigar World is an online site for cigar smokers. There you can get cigar news, reviews, and a whole lot more. Also on the site is cigar a cigar research panel called the Testing Lab. Doctor, you like labs. You're a doctor. You're a scientist. You get your ass over to Cigar World and get you in the testing lab. Uh, you can sign up, log in, give your input on new cigars by taking surveys and testing cigars. It's a really cool site. Go to Cigar World, check it out. I did, and I really liked what I saw. Check it out at cigarworld.com forward slash testing lab. And let us know what you think. I dug it. You guys check it out and let me know what you think. I tell you what, I might be a little skeptical on that price point, but I sure ain't letting this thing go. No, I'm still I'm still burning this little sucker down to the nub. Uh, real quick, Yaks, I've switched to my last beer of the night, and it's embarrassing. This is I, I'm just gonna call it. It's an embarrassing pairing. Oh, the say when it is say when double IPA from Saloon Door Brewing. Of course, the Saloon Door Brewing uh, from Webster, located in Webster, Texas, started back in the glorious year of 2009. Uh, the Say Win is a little bit of a powerhouse. It's 9.5% ABV. I'm glad I saved it for last. And, of course, uh, made by Saloon Door, which also has been uh, here recently done by Tut, he had their ridiculous AF, ridiculous, ridiculous as fuck, stout. Oh. Yaks, I love you going back and researching if we've featured the breweries before. This is new from you, my man. This is, you're showing some gumption. Well, we were, we've been doing so many different beers, like, True. and they're all over the place, but this was a time when I'm like, wait a second, I recognize this one and I recognize this did, one. Did Tut, did Tut like the ridiculous AF? I did. You did. Okay. This is malt out the. This is such a malty IPA. Oh my god. But the good news is, I wish I had switched to the sooner. That rich maltiness is bringing the raisin out of that the last inch of that cigar. So nice. This a malt heavy uh, double IPA. I can't imagine IBUs are very high on this. Yaks. They, it's it doesn't 
I'm not getting that one. That was a strange thing. I couldn't find anything on the IBUs. Okay. They're probably embarrassed to like, mention it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I was I was assuming because it was double IP that it was going to at least be minimum fifty, maybe. But man, it is so rich and and the, those dark, you know, the dark fruity and the malts, it brings out the 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 strength and the raisin in that last part of the manzanita. Uh, it's it's a much better pairing cigar as far as working with the cigar than my my first Louisiana beer. But here's why I picked it real quick. The funny story. So I'm looking around the beer store and I'm looking for something to pair with tonight's movie. And I see say when, and I'm like, Oh, that's a powers booth line from the movie tonight. So I buy him and I'm driving home. And I'm like, what scene did he say? Say when I, it was when he was trying to talk Spencer into overtaking the, the crew. And he's like, we need a new leader. Say when. And like, so dude, I, I call I called the doctor and he's like, I don't remember that line. And I go home and I spend 30 minutes scrolling through the film on Amazon to all the scenes where I think he might say that. He doesn't say it. And there's commercials, so I gotta wait like three minutes. I'm like, fuck. And then it dawns on me. It's a line from another Powers Booth movie. It's the in Tombstone. Say when. When Doc Holliday's fight, when Doc Holliday's fighting, fighting Johnny Ringo, Michael Bean. You're a daisy if you do. Say when. Say when. I totally fuck, fucked up this pairing. Yeah, but you get a Powers do. Booth movie. It's Powers Booth. I it like had Powers Booth in that movie. Powers Booth related. There's still points for that. But dude, I I, I totally fucked that up. Uh, but <laughs> but man, it is a, a multi- well. When you sent the picture, that's what I thought. Like, oh, Powers Booth was Tombstone. That's a Tombstone reference. It all works. It out. looks. It looks malty. It is. It you is. Say that rich. beef is your huckleberry. It is. <laughs> I'll be your huckleberry. It is rich and, and 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 fruity and sweet and man, this thing is. I might have to try oh, that. You, it is you're a. Ma- po- you're making a good advertisement for them. Hey Tut, say when. Say but when. you know what? I went on to think about it, and actually, I get an A plus for scoring because I remember I was talking to Yak Boy months of ago. He does. I was talking to Yax months ago, and I was like, you know what? I'm thinking about we should probably feature uh, Southern Comfort as a movie on the show. And Yax said, hey, say when. Would you like to grade your own exams, yeah. Tut? Don't exactly. you remember that? I've got don't, the beer that was actually in the fucking movie, but he gets the A-plus tonight. Don't you remember that, Yax, when you said say when to Southern Comfort? Yeah, yeah I remember it. We were watching Hearts of Dixie. I never heard of that show. All just ties together, ties together. As they continue their march to the, if they find the highway, if they find the interstate, they're going to find people as they continue their march to the highway. Which my only question is at this point, because, you know, like I just mentioned earlier, if you're lost in the woods, stay in one area, build a fire. Yeah, but they're being hunted. A fire is going to signal the hunter. They literally burned the dude's house down. If the National Guard is looking for them, someone will say, hey, there's a fire over there. Maybe we should send a helicopter. Well, the copters didn't come when they blew the shit out of that shack with a million pounds of dynamite in it. But that's what I'm saying. That, that didn't turn out so good. Someone should have showed up. 
Well, anybody, they suddenly, as they're marching through the swamp, stop dead in their tracks. They find eight dead swamp rabbits hanging upside down, one for each soldier. It's a sign, boys. Those vindictive coon asses are onto them, aren't they, Doctor? It may very well be. And, sure enough, what follows, after the guardsmen get even more lost in the endless swamp, there's a very tense scene where they hear hunting dogs growling in the distance. Some of the men rejoice. They think this is a good sign, as hunters can help show them the way out of here. Boy, I heard that, and I was like, uh, those dogs ain't hunting. They hunt but you. As, but as the dogs get closer, they sound angrier and angrier, until a pair of huge black muddy are those Rottweilers. Those are Rottweilers. Yeah. I didn't realize Rottweilers were hunting dogs. Rottweilers burst through the trees and pounce on the soldiers. They're tearing at their arms and legs as the men try to beat them off with the stalks of their rifles. They look like demon dogs. Too bad they weren't issued bayonets, right? Oh, wait. Oh, right. We'll find out later they did have bayonets, but they didn't use them because these guys are a bunch of doofuses. Eventually, the dogs retreat after getting hit over the head with these guns so much, but not before they took chunks out of the arms of Powers Boots Harden, Cribs, and the jackass Stucky. Tough guy Reese starts wailing on the one-armed prisoner, and when Spencer interjects, this causes more... He, he's like, enough! You know, these aren't his dogs. It causes even more infighting among the men. These guys are constantly bickering with each other. And when Reese says... You and I have a day. We're gonna. I'm gonna get you. Your Harden days look, you do. Harden looks at him and says, "Say when." <laughs> he does not. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Uh, that's what I thought. He, that's what I thought happened. As they continue their march to the highway once again, they come across seven bear traps laid out for them, which their brilliant leader Casper almost steps in as he's walking backwards through the swamp while assuring his men that the highways, it's right up here, two hours tops, which he said like 50 fucking times at this point. Cody, uh, as you looked at the bear traps, would you say that the Cajuns are Trappists? Oh, he's got Trappist beer. Totally doesn't mean that, but... <laughs> I think it, it works, but it's not the right kind. <laughs> they were Trapper... If it was a Trapper beer... No, but I'm going to bump your pairing grade up to a C plus. Uh, poor Woot. They're so low. I'm just saying, what kind of swamp is this? They got swamp bears. So they got swamp rabbits. <laughs> poor wounded. And that's, dude, that's how, what a good host I am. I was like, those look like rabbits. But I was like, how could rabbits survive in the swamp? Like they, dude, there are swamp rabbits in Louisiana. Poor wounded Cribs is given the task. He just got a chunk of his arm bitten off by a fucking dog of taking the point position marching forward. And soon after this unfortunate assignment, a makeshift board full of sharpened spikes springs up out of the swamp and kills him immediately. Later, Cribs. Well, carrying two corpses is out of the question for these guys. So they bury both Cribs and Sergeant Poole, who they've been carrying around on this makeshift stretcher, and set up camp for the night. Spencer tries to talk Casper into releasing the prisoner. Maybe that's all these hunters want. They want their friend back. Maybe we let him loose and they'll quit bothering us. But Casper says, no way. This guy is going on trial. We're bringing this prisoner in. 
When Spencer calls his commanding officer Casper a dumb asshole, the usually sheepish Casper punches him in the face. I just punched my microphone. That settles that for now. Casper's still in charge. Dude, that actor playing Casper never really went on anything. I thought he looked a lot like Simon Pegg with a mustache. Uh, but he's good in this. He, he plays, actually is. He plays the he part plays nicely. The, he plays it great. He's a really good actor. He kind of yeah. reminds me of the lieutenant in uh, Alien 3. Uh, the 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 slow dimwit guy that they all make fun of. Nobody saw Alien 3, Ted. I did. I kind of liked it. Uh, but yeah, he, he did that. Okay. Yeah, nobody, nobody saw that movie. I recognize I it from one other movie. Would you see it? Uh, he's in a classic late 80s movie. Very small role just at the beginning. Uh, he plays the sheriff uh, in the excellent movie Shoot to Kill with Sidney Poitier and Tom Berenger. The Love very, that movie. At the very beginning of the movie, he's the guy that introduces Poitier to Tom Berenger. All right. I, that, I, I forgive myself for not recognizing Dude, that movie is fucking amazing phenomenal movie we should do it if it was available to watch but i think the last time i looked you could only watch it on the internet yeah. shoot to kill and hamburger the motion picture shoot to kill is uh the action movie version of hamburger just a phenomenal movie there. oh great yeah. movie uh okay well that night coach goes full catatonic he's already tipped over the canoes he already blew up the shack now he just sits on a log and won't talk to anybody. The men beg Casper. And this use. is your coach that's teaching young men to be resilient on the gridiron. Correct. The men beg Casper to use some common sense and tie the big guy up so he can't do anything else crazy while they sleep. They were three and seven. <laughs> he's the he's the Dave Campo of movie character. Now Campo never showed that kind of life. <laughs> That's true. This guy did have a spark in his eye at one point. <laughs> so now they have to tie Coach up and drag his fucking psychotic ass along with the one-armed Cajun. If I had a cigar for every time you guys had to hog tie me up after I did something crazy and carry me along for the rest of the night, I would never need to buy another cigar again. <laughs> tie him up. Tie Kate up. <laughs> Get him in the truck. Cody's like, I got 40 feet of rope in my bag. Get it. <laughs> need rope you just don't know what you need it for i don't mean to be crazy i'm just you know i'm trying to have a good time <laughs> so the next morning uh harden finds reese drowning the one-armed cajun trying to get him to the top harden walks tells him to back off he doesn't so harden goes over and kicks his fellow soldier off the hunter and reese pulls out his knife on harden powers booth stares at him how about I blow your fucking head off? Harden says dryly from behind his machine gun. You don't have the balls, Reese says. Harden gives him that cold Powers Booth power stare. And did you guys blink? You'll miss it. At the end of that shot, staying on Powers Booth, he gives a little smile. Go back and watch it. Yeah, folks. I missed it. Watch it, dude. It's a just a, the cold, but at the end he gives him a little. Smile, and it's go time. Because Powers Booth means business. He always means fucking business. Harden throws his machine gun at Reese, pulls out his blade, and they start a good old knife fight. 
as the men dance circles around each other, waving their weapons, the one-armed hunter pops up and starts cheering Harden on in French. Come on! That is until Reese stabs Harden in the side. And when Harden gets a hold of a knife and has a chance to stab back with a kill shot, the Cajun suddenly speaks perfectly in- perfect English. <laughs> kill him! Kill him! And that's what Harden does, ramming the blade into Reese's gut, taking him out. Yeah, that's going to be some paperwork back at HQ. That's court-martial shit. <laughs> Killed a fellow soldier. The cold rain starts pouring down hard as the men dig Reese a sloppy grave. Harden, Powers Booth, sees an opening as the men start to once again question Casper's leadership. So he stands up and barks at them all to shut their fucking mouths and dig the goddamn graves. And he's, power, he's Powers Booth, so they all do what he tells them to. Even though he's the one who killed this asshole, he should probably be helping to dig the yeah. graves. Nope. Who want to kill the man? I don't want to hear another goddamn word out of your mouth. Okay, all right, we'll do it. Harden then turns to Loudmouth Stucky, who for once is silent. He's just sitting there. Reese was his best friend, his only friend. For once, he's just kind of sitting there quietly, and Harden yells at him, and I don't want to hear any shit out of you either. All of a sudden, this guy's talking up a storm. It's about time. It looks like we finally might have a new commanding officer, boys, but it's not who you think. Harden's smart enough to know that as the new guy in the squad, he's going to have a tough go of it. So he lets Mr. Popular Spencer, who everybody likes, fill that role. And Sims, the only guy really remaining other than Stucky and Casper, is all on board with that. Casper's gotten him nowhere. He's told them for two days they're going to get the highway in two hours. It never comes. But Stucky, his loyalty, he's like, if you can promise me that Harden's going to be court-martialed for killing my buddy Reese. I'm with you, ride or die. He's like, I promise. But it doesn't matter. They get stuck at the end of the line. They're just falling along like a bunch of sheepdogs. They're completely, they're at the end of the formation. Uh, Casper and Stucky, their spirits are completely defeated. Watching these dudes once again slugging through the mud around in circles, I couldn't help but imagine what a miserable fucking film shoot a nine-week winter film shoot in Louisiana this must have been. Ooh, that's got to be nasty. Can you imagine getting up every fucking day, putting on your wet combat boots, and just doing the same shit? To, to Walter, I read an interview with Walter Hill. He said, nobody complained. The hardest part was cinematography because they get a camera set up and it would start sinking down into quicksand. And they'd have to hurry up because like there was no soft, there was no hard ground. But it's like the actors never bitched. Everybody was a pro. Um, that's what he said was so disappointing. It was such a, it was considering the conditions, it was such a good shoot. And then nobody went and saw the movie. Sims hears some crackling sounds and sees one of the hunters running through the trees in the distance. So he starts firing blanks like they're real bullets, but they're not. Uh, he runs and runs and the men all have no choice but to turn around and follow him out into the open body of water where they discover all three of their dead friends strung up to a tree. The Cajuns dug up all the dead guardsmen and tied them up to this tree. I always love this move as a fear tactic move. It's Mama! Mama! Sims cries out. He's kind of a sensitive soul. Uh, But before the men can wrap their heads around this disturbing visual, 
enormous cedar tree after enormous cedar tree begin crashing down on them, blocking their path no matter where they run. They turn this way, a huge tree falls. They turn this way, a huge tree falls. Talk about a fucking trap. This is like a lot of time to set up. Yeah, no doubt. These guys are expert trappists. By the way, I'm pretty sure those were cypress trees. I'm pretty sure Fred Jones from Scooby-Doo would be very proud of these dudes. He loves a good trap. <laughs> it wasn't quite Rube Goldberg enough. There needed to be some wheels, maybe a, maybe you know an alligator. I thought it was a very impressive scene. Yes. The Bravo unit is pinned down. They're running low on real ammo. They only got four bullets left, real bullets. And the Cajuns have their number. So Casper finally shows why he has those stripes on his jacket as he takes a homemade grenade he made out of, uh, I guess he emptied out some shells and the gunpowder and made a a little uh, makeshift grenade. And he marches straight ahead in the face of danger, tossing it at the hunters. But predictably, because it's Casper, it kills no one. He doesn't get it close to those the men do manage to take out one of the Cajuns with their bullets before running out of them, but that leaves at least two still out there. And then they hear it, a helicopter circling above. The soldiers start to scream and wave their guns in the air, but the swamp trees are so tall and so thick, there's no way to tell if the whirlybird spotted them or not. Stucky runs off, chasing the chopper as it flies away, but before he can get to an open spot to wait for help, He's sucked down into a pit of quicksand that swallows him alive. That was a cool scene. 80s staple quicksand. It swallowed him alive until he was dead. I like that one meme that was passing around. I really thought quicksand would be a lot bigger problem in the world, according to (laughs) 80s movies. Dude, that sounded like something Powers Booth would say. It swallowed him alive until he was dead. Uh, but I'll be honest, I, this was actually fitting because I was like, that character, I was like, I, to me, he literally was the instigator for this whole, the, in, the entire Yes, life. it was all his fault. And he was one of those guys, and you know the type, you're just like, I'm, if I run across you, I, at some point, I'm just going to be really tempted to punch you in the face because you're so fucking stupid. Yeah. You just think the world is, is a big You're joke. You're us, motherfucker. I don't care who you yes. are back in the world. He, he played, was nobody he back in the great, world. Though. He played it great. He's working at a huddle house. And in this yeah, instance... He played, he played it awesome because you, you get the hackles on the back of your neck resin just from him being But I, I thought this, this was actually very fitting for his character. No one is ever going to know what happened to him. Yeah. He just disappeared. No, no grave, no marker, nothing. He's gone. It's fitting. You're right. Maybe not. It's kind of sad, but yeah, it's fitting. Oh, I wasn't sad at all. I was very happy. That black water sucked Maybe. him down. We've uh, come back from a quick break, and Tud has uh, released his, his ponytail. I've seen it for the first time. Um, what? Something? Something up? Something... Doc, you know the uh, lead singer of Soul Asylum, Dave Perner, the white guy who wears the dreads? No, it's not that good, man. No, no, no. It's it's like if he gave up veganism and discovered dominoes. 
and said, fuck it, I'm not doing the dreads anymore. That's uh, that's what we're looking at. Now, Tut looks like a new wave singer from the 80s. I am so afraid of living in oblivion. Just he looks like I've he, been thinking so long. He looks like the guy that gets Robert. He looks like the guy who's he in charge. Robert Smith. He looks like the guy who's in charge of getting Robert Smith from the Cures black clothes dry clean. Podcasters don't cry. <laughs> do, 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 do. Okay, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone now. It's gone. Uh, boy, that I, I wasn't expecting to drop into that. Uh, I'm like coach now. I guess I just got I got a little emotional. Uh, I want to apologize to to the boys. I love that apology, man. I'm like, dude, right, you The guardsmen decide to split up to find Stucky. So Casper and Sims head one way and Spencer and Harden head the other way while dragging Coach still by that leash behind them. Cade style. It's not long before Casper spots three Cajuns up ahead and he orders Sims run back to the others. I got this. Casper screws his bayonet on the end of his rifle. Where was that shit with those dogs? And in slow motion... Dude, this movie uses I that's what I miss about 70s, 80s, early 80s movies. They used every editing trick in the book. Slow motion. There's a scene earlier where they show them talking dialogue, superimposed over them marching. You don't see that kind of stuff nowadays. Um I could have done without it. Well, he marches towards them in slow motion and just trudging through the swamp where he's met. He reaches them, and they they have guns. So each one of them fires a round into Casper, and he's dead. Um, Sims looks back and sees Casper's body floating in the his corpse floating in the water. And he, dude, doctor, he totally pulls a Dante from Clerks. I wasn't even supposed to be here today. I wasn't even supposed to be here. Well, yeah, you were. Your mission, like right? Yeah, you were. But he is there, and as a result of him being there, they shoot his ass, and he's dead. One shot to the heart, Sims is dead. These Cajun and boys is good shots. They're yeah. hunters. They're hunters. And now, as night falls, we have a battle of three versus three. But you really can't count Coach, so our heroes are officially outnumbered two to three for the first time in the film. Spencer and Harden get to know each other a little better as they get some rest. Spencer even jokes about looking up Harden's wife if he were to survive and Harden didn't. Powers Booth, she has a good sense of humor. I don't. I like that line. I said she had a good sense of humor. I don't. I don't. At the end of the conversation, Harden makes one thing crystal clear to Spencer. He wants to live and he's going to find a way to do it. At the crack of dawn, the men are awoken by the sounds of a rumbling train. Turns out where they slept that night was right besides a railroad bridge, and they didn't even know it. It was dark. Somewhat understandable, I guess. I slept on couches. I didn't know whose house I was in. (laughs) Spencer and Harden run towards the bridge to hop the train, but they're stopped in their tracks when they see Coach hanging from a noose underneath the bridge. Then they hear the crack of a shotgun, and when they look up, it's the one-armed Cajun standing atop the bridge, aiming down at them. 
In perfectly fine English, he tells the guys that he's not going to kill them unless he has to. He actually gives them instructions on how to get out of the swamp. And when Harden demands to know what's going on, the Cajun ends it with, Israel. I don't do a Cajun accent, so bear with me. It's real simple. We live back here. This is our home, and nobody fuck with us. Harden then demands to know who strung Coach up, and the hunter shoots at his feet. He, Harden needs to shut the fuck up at this point. He said he's not going to kill you. He told you how to get out of here. Quit giving this guy shit. Yeah, you said all you want to do is live, and that's not how you get to living. Well, get this. The one-armed man then tells them, stop asking questions and haul ass because my buddies aren't as nice as me. Are we supposed to say thanks, Harden says. Dude, shut the fuck up and get moving. Get to stepping. Get to stepping. You're not supposed to say anything, soldier, is what the one-armed man says. I actually like that line, too. Dude, Harden just can't shut up. The reason he spared them was because, remember, when Reese was drowning him, Harden's the one Harden's who saved him. Harden's the one who saved him, yeah. Not long after they start following their new friend's directions, Harden and Spencer spot an old farm truck driving down a dirt road. And even though the driver and his wife speak mainly French, they do understand English well enough to offer the boys a ride to the next town. And, man, this next town is jumping. It's not really a town. It's it's more like a large clearing with many shanty. much... It's a shanty town, but with much nicer shacks than what we saw out in the swamps. I'm not sure you get in that truck. I think maybe you just walk on down that road in the other direction. I think, but, yeah, I think I could agree with you. I think I wouldn't. I'd, I'd be like, if they spoke, along. if they spoke English, they're like, "What's up?" I'd be like, "All right," but the fact that they were Frenchies, yeah, it's kind of. I'd be like, you know what? I'm just gonna walk in the opposite direction of where this truck came from. Uh, well, dude, get this. This town is just off the chain. They're, uh, it's a crawfish bowl, baby. They're spit roasting pigs, boiling crawfish, playing live music. There's a bunch of kids running around throwing a football. See that there's big like a ass hundred... crawfish kettle that they had? Yeah. There's like a hundred people here of all ages just partying their asses off. If this had a, if this place had a telephone, they'd be all set, but it doesn't. So the wife they rode in with shows the guardsmen where they can clean up and get themselves an ice cold beer. Our heroes are kind of dicks here. They demand to be taken to the next town when they're dropped off here. No, we want to go to the next town. Well, we'll go to the next town later after that. No, we want to go now. Dude. Again, that's where you just say thank you and you thank just, you start, and just walking. start walking. Yeah. Start a, fr- walking. a friendly broad hands them some ice cold Dixie beers. And Powers Boot doesn't even say thanks. He just growls at her. <sighs> They're fed these gigantic plates of hot food, which look delicious, which I would have liked to see them devour. They haven't ate in days, but they just kind of nibble on it. And like, dude, these guys would be so fucking hungry. True, but I, I, I dig Powers through this entire sequence because Look, he get, did not I, let down I, his guard at all. He is scoping everything Look, out. I get it, but they are guests. It wouldn't hurt to show a little bit of gratitude. Here's a plate of food. I just never, I, first of all, like I said, I never would have gotten the truck. When I got to the road and they didn't speak English, I would have been like, thank you. And just walk in the opposite direction, figuring that road's going to lead me out. But even well, then, if you're like, no, no, we're getting in this truck, and you drove to the, that shanty town, even though there's kids and everything that lets your guard down, I'm sitting there thinking, this isn't going to be good. 
I've Powers seen the Booth never never lets his guard down. He's I've seen open I've seen the wick I've seen the wicker man. I know what you guys I know what you do to guys like me. Yeah, I'm gonna. Put well, that... and then that's kind of the point is you know you would find someone who has enough dialect to be like, hey, where are we and where is the nearest? Well, that's, the, that's the thing. There's, there's so many dudes there that are dressed really nice with super like suits and right cowboys. They, they, they got to speak English. They're not. Someone's got to know somebody. I will say about a movie like this is it puts you, I've said this before in so many, whether it's a horror movie, a suspense movie, whatever. The best thing about it is if it draws you in as a viewer and you start asking yourself the questions, what would I do? And so that's to me, that automatically makes a movie worth its while. If it draws you in like that and puts you in that situation where you're asking yourself, what would I do? That's the first thing I thought of. Watching this, yes, in 2021, from my own perspective, after everything that's happened, I emerge from those woods, and that truck comes out, and they don't speak English. I'm saying, I'm waving at them, thank you, and I'm following the road in the opposite direction. But if I'm with one of you guys, you know, and and you're like, no, we let's get on this truck. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to get on the truck with you. But even when we get to that town, and even like Kate said, there's kids, there's well-dressed guys, it's a family affair. I'm trying to pull you aside and go, and, dude, let's just real slowly, let's wave, say hello. Let's make our way over I here. Yeah. Kate, those two hunters are probably from this village. We need to get out of here. I would have just been like, hey, I'm stabbed in my side and bleeding out. Can you get me to a hospital? And if they still hand me a plate of uh, beans and <laughs> beans and rice and a Dixie beer, that might be a red flag. They're not taking me anywhere. But I want to say this. They really play up how friendly and hospitable all these people are. We've traveled to Louisiana twice now working the Drew Estate Barn Smokers and seen firsthand how nice the local folks are over there. We went to breweries, uh, restaurants. Like, it was just... It, they are some of the nicest folks. And many moons ago, I tailgated at LSU on a Saturday game day. And I barely stepped out of my buddy's RV in the morning, that Saturday morning, at the crack of dawn, before some LSU fans in an RV next to us were handing me a plate of fucking food and a cocktail. They are the most friendly, my experience, they are the most friendly you know, we always say just party. Like these people fucking yeah. love to party and they love to welcome you into their party. And I thought they captured that really well in this little shanty down. I, I agree. Yeah. Well, Harden's ignoring the party, as you guys said, and looking out the window when he sees two men uh, cruising on a canoe. He thinks it's two of the Cajuns. Keep in mind, they haven't seen these guys' faces yet. They were always behind the trees. Yeah. Um, but he thinks it might be two of the guys that were trying to hunt him down. He tells Spencer, but Spencer's too busy drinking Dixie beers that, and dancing with a local chick who's, uh, you know, grabbed him and took him out on the dance floor. But when Harden sees the farm truck driver that drove them in and another man stringing up two nooses. I was like, oh, my goodness. This and, is getting and they're, weird. And they're, like, and they're like measuring them like perfect for a human head. Uh, he goes with his gut and he walks over to the buffet and he grabs a big ass knife from the barbecue table and makes a run for it. That is until he gets outside the shanties 
and Sonny Landham, Cajun Sonny Landham, sporting a gloriously, I think, fake mustache. There's no way that thing was real. No way. Steps out from behind a tree with a rifle in his hand. Harden spins around and quickly makes his way back into the town. That song, that fucking band is playing, that Cajun music, never ends. I love it because, like you said, you use these sounds of the environment that you're in to really just crank up that pressure. They've been playing the same fucking song for 10 minutes. They're like the band Tool with cowboy hats and, and little boots. Like, these songs never fucking end. It's a good old-fashioned jam session. The repetitive music touch, like you just said, and the clapping of everybody, it actually adds quite a bit to the tension and the, uh, if you want to get fancy, the mizen scene of just building this thing. You just you start to go a little crazy as an yeah. audience with this music and the clapping. Imagine what these soldiers are feeling. They, they've been through three days of hell, and that's all they're hearing? Oh, my God. As Harden goes from shack to shack, hiding, and Spencer finally begins, he finally realizes my buddy's gone, I should probably go look for him, and he begins roaming around the town looking for his fellow soldier. The cutaways, while this is going on, Walter Hill cuts away to the locals shooting these giant caged pigs in the head, and then slicing their bellies open and letting the blood pour out. And man, there's one shot with, I don't know what animal it was, they slice his belly and the guts just pour out. You got the that Cajun music, the clapping, the guts and the blood. The soldiers don't know where the fuck they are. That's fucking great. And the timing of the cuts have sped up now. I mean, it's great editing. It's good pacing through this section. Uh, Suddenly, Cajun Sonny Landham kicks down the back door of a shack where Harden's hiding, and he shoots him in the shoulder. He calmly walks over the guardsmen and reloads, and Jesse's about to pull the trigger for the kill shot. Spencer runs in and starts blasting the hunter with his M16 full of blanks. But, dude, they're on to him by now. Cajun Sonny Landon just stands there and just, I know you don't have real bullets. He's just shooting him. But that brief moment buys Harden a chance. He's down the ground to ram that barbecue knife up into Cajun Sonny Landon's balls, which, by the way, if we ever do start a band, can we call it Cajun, Cajun Sonny Landon? How about Sonny Landon's balls? Or Sonny Landon's balls. <laughs> Dude, you thought he screamed loud when the pre- you thought he screamed loud when the predator killed him. He gets that knife in the balls. Ouch. At least Opening it wasn't like Buzzsaw where it was like <laughs> Another hunter chases Spencer around, and when he has him cornered, Harden Dude, they're looking out for each other now. Jumps in from behind, and Spencer, guess what? He has a bayonet now. He starts just digging that bayonet into that dude's belly like a dozen times. Again, could have been useful when the dogs were attacking. The two soldiers exit the shack, and Spencer helps his wounded friend as they slowly make their way across the town square, or whatever you call it in these little things. Suddenly, a military helicopter appears overhead. The men trudge back through the swamp to follow the chopper's path. And they come to the edge of a clearing where the Whirlybird is landing among several military vehicles and National Guardsmen. That's a hard sentence to write because it's all helicopter heavy. So I have to call it a helicopter, then I called it a chopper, and then in the third sentence I called it a Whirlybird. If there was a fourth sentence, I would have run out of things to call it. Oops. Some of the things I do. Transport. 
Some of the things you don't think about unless you have to type them out. The footage is now slow motion, and the sound of the aircraft, that's my fourth thing I had to call it, aircraft. And everything else slows down and also becomes warped. You can hear the individual rotation of the helicopter blades. I don't understand the slowdown around. thing, but... The camera freeze. I think I do. The camera freezes on the white star painted on the side of a military jeep. The end. They're at, they're at the edge of that clearing. They see the military. They've come to rescue them. We freeze on that star. I looked it up. I guess we're, I'm the only dumb asshole who asked this question. Is there any question in your minds whether they are rescued or whether they get shot in the back from those coon asses? I think they're rescued. I think that's the consensus, and that's why I'm the only one. I just I thought the way they did in slow motion and everything, and they were being chased, I thought it was supposed to end on a question mark. Like, do they get shot in the back as they get to the chopper? Or do they... Why not just show them get to the chopper if they get to the chopper? Well, I mean, it, the the question is that close to all those military. You don't think those Cajuns want to get blown to bits? Right. Given given the circumstances, at that point, yeah, they're not going to do anything. Because then you, they're going to draw attention to themselves. Right. When you see the star and you realize it's a U.S. military truck and the chopper's up there, it's over. They're safe. Civilization but, has come. So they made are it. Are they safe? Because now, you know, my question is when I saw this is what questions will they have to answer? Oh, yeah. Here comes the paperwork and y'all's asses in Leavenworth. Well, nah, basically, I, I think I they can tell whatever story they want to. I think the answer is, sure. I'm a doctor. I think the answers are easy. Everybody died because of those Cajuns. Yeah. Uh, Hardened in stab Reese. They stab Reese. Uh, there's no ambiguity. We're nobody died. Everybody who died was because of. Are you people. telling me three Acadians in a swamp took out your entire platoon? Oh come on, the the guy that's in charge knows they're a bunch of dipshits. That's <laughs> true. Just... That's when I would have turned into full butthead. Uh, those are like other dudes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, the movie's over. Oh. Uh, just think, all of this could have been avoided if they had just waited at that camp for the hunters to show up and then say, hey, could you ferry us across the river here? Can we borrow your canoes? Just a little, little, awesome little bit of courtesy. And we, we don't have, have a movie. We wouldn't have had those awesome shots of coach. I hope they read my note. <laughs> read my note. All right, look. Ultimately, here's my final thought. Which might be controversial with you guys, but I'll take a shot. Ultimately, the thing that didn't work for me when so much of everything else did work for me in this movie, and as I alluded to it in depth before, were the two main protagonists. As cool, calm, charming, and collected as Keith Carradine Spencer is, early on, his blatant racist dialogue I couldn't get past it. And as fantastic of an actor as Power Booth is, he just isn't a natural or even an unnatural fit to me as a hero character. He's played so many memorable villains for a reason. But 
Walter Hill tried to saddle these two up repeatedly through the movie to where there's forming some sort of friendship. It just, that part didn't work for me. Totally but agree. here's how I, Matt Cade, would have fixed it. Just something to chew on. Switch out Fred Ward, who's playing Reese, and Powers Booth, who's playing Harden. Because we've seen Fred Ward play tough guys who are likable in Tremors, in Remo Williams. Powers Booth is just, he's stone cold, man. You Make him the guy who we want to root for. Make Powers Booth the ultimate dickhead. Switch those two actors. And I think the movie would have been, don't get me wrong, I don't want to change this movie. It's great. But I think it could have been really interesting if you change those two casting. But I'm, I'm not sure that the point was to make them heroes. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think that you were supposed to be rooting for these guys to beat the crap out of the Cajuns. Uh, and I will, I will disagree. I think that, I think Powers can do stuff. He played perfect in the Colonel from Red Dawn. He's just a tough, hard ass, but he doesn't have to be a villain on it. I think. I guess that, if, if I if I'm gonna watch for two hours, guys trudge through the swamps over and over and over again, I want to kind of want to root for him. And he's such a stone cold hard ass. And the other guy dropped a bunch of end bombs in the first five minutes of the movie. I'm like, why not? I, to me, I think Fred Ward would have brought, because he has that knack for bringing that kind of charm with a gruff kind of hard ass. Dude, Tremors, man, he can do it. And I think if you swap those roles, I would have definitely rooted for Fred Ward. Where Yeah, man, I just don't think that that was the point, though. This You're is right. a decade before Tremors, so we really don't know what a lot of these guys can do. And I think I think the idea was just to show that they're – I think we are rooting for them. I just think that the idea is that there's, they're flawed. There's no there's no white hat John Wayne. In and, that, and that's what got me back to my, my, my previous comment, Doctor. I wouldn't change a thing because it's rare, especially today or in the last two decades, that we get a movie with imperfect heroes. And that's what this movie is. We have imperfect protagonists and flawed, flawed dudes that are the good guys. And that's interesting. So yeah. I just, I, I'd leave it alone. But I, but I, I, I kind of thought that would be kind of a cool angle to explore. But yeah, we, we need movies that are complicated and the, the, the good guys aren't all fucking clean cut Brendan Fraser and the mummy. Uh, with khaki pants running around with you know no scars on. Yeah, the I mean, because frankly, you can make a case that the Cajuns were in the right here. I mean, it was their home. These guys were interlopers into their territory. They thought they, they were being fired upon. Exactly. So when they shot Sergeant Poole, it was self-defense. Exactly. And yes. then, and then before you could clear that up, you went off and blew up their fucking house. And you kidnapped their brother. Yeah, punched yes. him in the face. These so. guys could probably make a case for it yeah no that's, that's an interesting point i i i i like it i i think i think you kind of hit the hit the, hit the nail on the head there that it's a complicated movie and you know there, there's definitely room for complicated movies 
uh, it's a complicated movie in today's times. Uh, um, it was actually, if you if you were smart back in '81, is complicated just because of the nature of of the characters. Um, but I love that all. Can't it, quite uh, break out of the Deliverance shadow though, because it was the same way. Those were three canoers that were going up into hillbilly territory with their big city ways that weren't respecting the locals there. Yeah. Yeah, but nobody gets slammed in the ass. And and Burt Reynolds would have rocked his Harden. Yeah. Um, Just the fact that nobody gets raped makes it uh, not a. And in that showdown with Cajun Sonny Landon, he got peeled off his mustache and thrown it like a ninja star. <laughs> and it, and Sonny Landon could have peeled off his mustache and it would just meet in the middle. I, I did you guys, Doctor? Did you ever see the Wyatt Earp, Kevin Costner's Wyatt Earp movie? I did not see that. Mm-hmm. You did, Tut? Yeah. I just I came across this fun fact and I never do this, but I was like, that's weird. Powers Booth, who played Harden, and the Weasel, who played Stucky, they both played Curly Bill. Uh, obviously, Powers Booth in Tombstone. Stucky played Curly Bill in Wyatt Earp. I I did not rec I did not recognize him. Where the fucking odds of that? Yeah, I did not recognize him. Yeah, I never saw that. I never saw the the Costner Wyatt Earp. I, I didn't begin. I never saw it because Tombstone is a perfect movie. It's 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 worth it from a historical standpoint, yeah, the historical yeah. portrayal of it, but don't try to compare it to Tombstone. Yeah, no. Tombstone is 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 box office yeah. just gold. It's, it's 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 gold. It's great. Right now I really either want to watch Tombstone or binge watch Deadwood tomorrow. I can't make up my mind which. You can't go wrong with either. Yeah. Uh I never saw Deadwood. Is that with all the cussing? Yeah, you, you cocksucker. You would have liked it. Take it easy. I didn't do anything to you. No, they they dropped cocksucker like every oh. other sentence. And picturing Tut going going in inside, and I'd be like, cocksucker was busting on Heart of Dixie. <laughs> hey, I said, hey, I said it right. I said Heart of Dixie. That is correct. And finally, after twenty-seven miscues, uh, you would have liked uh, Deadwood. Powers Booth is great in it, and he's one of the main characters. I love Powers Booth, and I, I was just. He was I like Carradine's Hickok in it too. Carradine's uh, great. You got Tim Oliphant. You got Oliphant Ian does it. Uh, the uh, Lassie from Psych is in it. Uh, plays the uh, plays the guy who owns the mine in season one. Who they? Well, I'm not gonna. Then you got Brad Dorif. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, dude, Ian McShane is is fantastic. It's it's good all the way around. All right. Well, man, it, 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 it didn't overstay its welcome. It only did three seasons. Well, hey, uh, C.W. Harris, you were right. We did have fun with this one. And uh, we actually, uh, I love these. It's usually the older movies we get to talk smart and sound like we, uh, you know. Know a thing or two? Movie, any movie where, you know, the majority of the characters aren't in bikinis, we tend to uh, <laughs> sound like sound like uh, scholars around here. Um uh, but no, this is a fun one. Uh, this the cigar, the Manzanita, was something def, definitely different from Southern Draw. Give it a thumbs up. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, man, I really like that raisin uh, sweetness and the cedar. Uh, we had a bunch of beers. Tut, your Dixie beer was just. Yeah, hey, I'm going to give you a thumbs up on the Dixie beer. Thumbs up on the Dixie beer. Thumbs up on the Dixie beer. He's canceled. 
uh, Yaks, the, the Spencer Trappist. Very good. I highly recommend it. Okay. It is a, I'm going to try that. Not, I'm going to try holiday. that. It did not complement the cigar, but it stayed out of the way. Right. I mean, there wasn't, like, I don't, wouldn't say that they had any sort of, you know, flavor tie-ins, but it was, the, the, it's a solid Trappist ale, and it would go pretty much with any cigar. Well, the beer I can only remember from tonight that actually enhanced the cigar and brought out that raisin and brought out some of the, the richness that was in was the Say When, which when Robert Holt from Southern Draw asked us if we were going to feature the Manzanita, I remember telling him, Say When. <laughs> Pairing grade A+. Plus. <laughs> well, boys... Uh, this was fun. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We had a great uh, St. Patty's Day episode. Now we're back on track with just some normal stuff. Uh, finally checked off Southern Comfort from the bucket list. I'm glad we did. can't believe we never saw this movie before. Tut, do what you do best. He looks like Melvin from the... Uh, Toxic Avenger? <laughs> the... <laughs> All right, so it's like buzz from the Melvins. You can join us on uh, Twitter at, at @tnccast. You can hit us up on Instagram at tncc underscore podcast. Getting a lot of good looking traffic on the Instagram to go along with our good looking photos. You can join us on Facebook Tuesday Night Cigar Club. You can smash that like button and subscribe to us Tuesday Night Cigar Club on the YouTube's. If you're going to do some shopping for some fine cigars, you can uh, click on the uh, famous smoke shop banner at the Tuesday Night Cigar Club dot com website it will automatically input the code tncc20 and if you spend 100 bucks you get 20 bucks off of it and then if you're going to do some shopping on amazon you can also click on that amazon banner do your shopping from there it helps us keep the lights on and pay the bills listen to tim burton he knows what he's saying <laughs> if you guys are listening to us on itunes you're really missing out kick it over to youtube Tut's hair is glorious. Glorious. Oh Keep it going, brother. It's going to be good. Uh, we will return in two weeks. I don't know what we're doing, but I have a hunch what we're doing. I think it's going to be pretty fun. Um, in the meantime, may the wings of liberty never lose a feather. I'll give you two of these. Sign on, motherfuckers. See you next week. learn more about the time I woke up lost and naked in the middle of the Louisiana swamps with an impressive amount of beaded necklaces around my neck and an extremely soggy half-eaten po'boy sandwich in my hand. Well, just find yourself a used copy of Girls Gone Wild 17, Mardi Gras Madness. Because when I finally emerged from the bayou, I was horny as hell and the lucky ladies visiting from Stephen F. Austin University were more than ready to party. I mean, I may have been covered in mud and Spanish moss, but after all, I was still Keith fucking Howell. Go Lumberjacks. But, um, in the meantime, you can learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode by visiting southerndrawcigars.com. 
For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'BrienSimple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky. And for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well. Go to work, get drunk, go to sleep, I